Okay, so describe the card first into the mic. What you see, like what is what are you what are you pulling out of it? What do I see? Right, some sort of medieval type scene. Um, it kind of there's like a tower in it that looks like you know that famous tower that's in Bologna. Oh, I don't know the famous oh, tower in Bologna. The, one, you, of the, one of the few overseas cities that I've been to it makes me seem like I know more about what's going on in the world. <laughs> But, um, you know that place in Bologna? Everyone knows that you place. You know, mate. Yeah, no. It's, um, yeah, like it looks like an old Romanesque type. There's a few dogs like lapping at the feet of an old bloke that's patting one of them. Uh, there's a kid grabbing the tail of another dog. Too much, uh, too much detail, maybe? No, that's awesome. Uh, it's funny yeah. what people pull from it, like what people see from it. So, hold yeah, on. Yeah, plenty of emblems and so on. All right, let me see it. So, your episode will be called The Ten of Pentacles. The, de- <laughs> the Ten of Pentacles. So that's the that's the one there. Yep. yep. So you just read that yeah. out on the mic and I'll chop it up. Legacy, permanence, wealth, ancestors, wisdom, home. The Ten of Pentacles is a card of physical security. It could mean a successful financial venture, an inheritance that will provide for those concerned, or an auspicious partnership. Mm-hmm. It is also a card of traditions, so could represent a holiday celebration or doing things the way that they've always been done. If you have a question about what you should do, think back to the way your elders would solve the problem. The warning with this card is that you may be thinking that financial wealth is the only kind of wealth there is and may be forgetting about spiritual and emotional wealth. There is a cost that you have not considered in achieving the comfort you desire. Question mark. Wow. That's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, so somewhat convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> like they all are. Yeah, um, touche. Welcome to Fuck You Tarot Lady episode number eight. I am joined by Luke Toomey. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. My pleasure. Thank you for making the journey to my humble abode. We're yeah. in a lovely house of Luke's in Yarraville, and uh, it's a beautiful house. We're in your little guitar riff dojo. The dungeon, yes. Yeah, the dungeon. So that's it's like that's already saying a lot as well, isn't it? You well, yeah, it's pretty dark. <laughs> But, you know, set the mood, got a lamp, we're ready to go. We, before the show, <laughs> listeners, we discussed that the lighting in this room was a bit much. So we brought in a lamp. It feels much more comfortable for us to talk for however long this... Well, it is night time, I suppose. It's it's getting on. Yeah, that's right. You know, we've got to like settle into this now. It's like we're in the, we're in the zone. It feels good. <laughs> we went against the salt rock lamp. We've gone for a traditional, just a nice room lamp. Just a regular, what's that, um, that Target, not Target, uh, Kmart brand, you know, Anko. Everyone knows a good Anko lamp. There's, uh, I think everyone in their house has some couple of good Anko products. I certainly do. Yeah. If Gee. you don't, you're a snob, you know, like. Well, you probably got too much cash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So let's start, um, instead of starting with your origins as, as Luke Toomey, let's talk about how I first met you and you, you had a very striking charismatic opening into my life which was uh many years ago it was the electric dynamite fundraising tour like what was it like a fundraising thing for what are they what are they raising money for do you oh, remember oh right that was a eureka rebellion trading correct if anyone doesn't remember that this was the <clears throat> barbershop slash tattooer slash record store at the end of smith street 
Yeah, yeah, on Smith Street. I'm yeah, pretty sure. right at the end though, like right near Alexandra Parade. So what were you doing there? What and- was I doing there? That's a very good question. I think I was not long back from overseas and I was basically just friends with the people in the band and I hadn't, I wasn't, I don't think I was living back in Melbourne at that stage, but came down well, for the weekend and went to the show and I was just helping out with stuff and like organizing ice and beers and all that sort of thing. Yeah, they were fundraising. What, what was it? I think it was, uh, it was like the new singer Dan's second show or something. Right. I reckon. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Could definitely be wrong, but but yes, I remember I was I was there. Uh, Matt and I were there. I think probably in some Key of Solomon podcast um, capacity, I think as well. But obviously, um, listeners, if you don't know, I also had a hand in making all the electric dynamite film clips back in the day. So we were all very friendly and um, knowing Cam uh, Roberts previously on the show already tying it all Great together. Episode. Great episode. Um, so, you know, we were all there because of that. They were our friends as well. And then we ended up having some kick-ons at the Gasso. The Gasso, yes, and then that's right. We, we ended up chatting kind of all night. And you were, I was instantly like, I like this dude a lot. He's an interesting cat. Oh, very much appreciated. You had very nice blue eyes that you still do now. They're still the same. <laughs> Tinge of red. No, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so you were there. And then I guess the funny thing about that was is that, you know, Years later, you ended up fronting Electric Dynamite for a short period in their final little glimmer yeah. of, of band. You were like, you were the guy. How did that come about? Well, yeah, good question. It was, um, I suppose, I like, yeah, I wasn't very like expecting to do it, um, but oh, I think one one night I was here with a friend of mine at my house, and I I, I knew Dwayne from playing in other bands over the years, and. So on, but we weren't we weren't particularly close at this point. But I remember I sent him a message for his birthday, and I said, you know, happy birthday, whatever it was that I said exactly, I don't know. But I remember saying, let's have some beers soon, and he texts back saying, why not now? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, it's a bit forward. Yeah, no, yeah. Why not, birthday, why not now? Why not now? That's a big expectation. If it's someone's birthday and then they ask you for drinks out that night, it's like, oh, I was yeah, thinking more maybe like a quiet beer, well, you know, midweek. <laughs> I think it was the weekend, but it made perfect sense. And he was at the Sweetwater Inn in like over the other Chapel Street way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, yeah, okay, beers now. So I went over there and met up with all those dudes. And obviously like Cam and Lockie and so on were there, um, which were dudes that I knew probably a little bit better. Um, and we ended up going back to Lockie's house and kicking on and playing and, and the acoustic guitar never inevitably came out, um, <laughs> as it always did back on the ledge days. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I probably sang a couple of songs and I think like Cam had been talking about it for a while unbeknownst to me, but, um, yeah, it ended up, it just so happened that I think it was the next day or something that Dan had to unexpectedly leave the band. And uh, it would have been the next week that I got a phone call and asked if I'd consider having a go at doing that, which I graciously think... said, I'll give it a go. <laughs> this sounds like an elaborate sting operation that they've like roped you into this thing and like, oh, here's maybe. this guitar. And maybe and like, do you, have, do you ever thought about maybe there were some ulterior motives to inviting you to that thing that night? Like they knew? Had... Well, I don't know. After a couple of grogs, it never used to take me much to uh, <laughs> make the guitar find its way into my hand and people listen to me, but... <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I, like I know that Cam had spoken about it previously, but it wasn't something I ever thought that I could do because it wasn't a style of singing that I really thought that I could achieve. Yeah, there's a lot of high notes there. There's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of energy, a lot of... Just, yeah, it's, it wasn't something that really ever was on my radar, but, you know, it took a, a lot of practicing to be able to even sort of get anywhere close to where it needed to be. Yeah. So... Yeah. But then you, you did play with Luxury Dynamite for how many shows? Oh, it was like three exactly. shows, four shows? No, nah, it would have been about 10. 10? It was, oh, wow. So it was a lot. Because I remember. It was you... a couple of years that we, we were active, not, not as active as in the past. I, but more like getting cool supports for like touring kind of acts and stuff. Yeah, like that. I think, well, I think the first show they got me to do was, um, uh, was supporting Sebastian back at the forum, which, <laughs> you know, I think there's no, uh, how should I say? Well, I can't think of the word right now, but I was definitely. Uh, it was. It would have been surreal. I was pretty, like a, it was know. pretty nerve wracking sort of thing. I'd never sung in a band without a guitar. Yeah. I really sung in a band at all, um, to be honest. And then all of a sudden, it's the forum, and I was just like, "Oh, how did you get here? <laughs> Why are you doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> all the things you ask yourself, like minutes before you go on stage. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, Dwayne actually had a really uh, good idea before that show and like you know i was knocking back a couple of beers to try and calm the nerves or whatever and he said we haven't actually announced that there's anyone else singing on for this particular show so he said just stay off the stage until you're ready to come on and i was like great because the hardest part for me like at that time definitely was getting those first notes out and once you get those out in the right key and they're the right words and yeah. so on, then then the rest just starts to happen. Yeah, and it'd be muscle memory at a certain point. Like, I'm sure you would have rehearsed the song. Oh, no, stuff, I right? didn't know him very well at all. Like, we probably had two <laughs> rehearsals. I think Cameron got back from overseas, like, the night before. And, oh, we'd only decided to play one of their... Uh, take a ride on my jet ski. Is that song? <laughs> <laughs> But we'd only decided to do that like the you, night before, and so I spent the whole day at work rehearsing the the the. Um, oh, that's got that big so like. And, uh, like yeah, the take a ride on my back, say that one. But, um, it's a it's a classic song for any listeners. Pause the podcast right now. Jump across to Spotify and uh, listen to Hair Denim Sex Metal. It's a fucking great. Yeah, I agree. It's so good. And it, it was only so easy because I obviously was a was a bit of a fan of, yeah. of their work anyway from the past and so i kind of knew the song and i knew the melody and i just had to and you've seen the, lyrics. the well-produced music videos of course well yes which i at the time <laughs> didn't know it was a <laughs> good man rory sitting across from me but <laughs> now i do well i had a hand in that that one that one was uh, directed by uh, my old uh, boss ryan chamley but i did i cameoed as a bartender yeah, in i was gonna say weren't you in it did yeah. you save save the the girl or something from oh, the that scumbag was, that was showgirls in oh, showgirls oh, no. <laughs> more than one we're Beautiful. like uh we're 12 minutes into this podcast and at this point you've already got to pause it to listen to that and then also pause it maybe look up some old electric dynamite clips on uh youtube you might find some you might find some cameos in there yeah so so you you've thrown yourself into playing at the forum with Sebastian Bach. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's like like a lot of people, a lot of musicians would like hang there 
you know, they can hang their hat up at that point and go, right, cool. Played with Sebastian Bach. That was amazing. That's cool. But like, this was just your first thing that you then had to do. Like what, first question, what would you do with your hands? Were you nervous about what to do with your hands when you don't have a guitar? Cause a lot of singers do like a monkey. Oh. They, might, they might do a bit of air guitar. They might like, what, do you remember what you did? Or was it all just a bit of a blur? I remember uh, I, I had like a straight microphone stand and just really holding on to that thing for dear life <laughs> that was that was the safety zone and but but sort of that became where i felt safest and you know you spread your legs and then just sing and just hold that mic stand and like i was never really one for walking around the stage like trying to fire everything up because i'm still trying to work out what i was doing with the rest of it you know so yeah great so you so you <laughs> So you'd just gotten back from London, right? Like when the Electric Dynamite uh, Eureka thing happened, you'd just gotten back from London, correct? Oh, I think so. I couldn't, yeah. Or was it Bologna? Where were you at the time? At some point I was in Bologna. But because uh, <laughs> oh, I went to London, then I came home and then I went back there, then I came home and then I did a bunch of work, like not around here. So I'd, I'd, I was back from, from London, definitely, because I was here, but... I don't know. I can't remember. How long were you in London for across those two times? Oh, you spent a, a fair bit of time. A little 20s, under two years, two years. I think. I think I left when I like I just turned twenty, and I left pretty much straight away. That's um, that's an early age to just like fuck everything off and move to London. Like, oh, I definitely wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> no what, doubt. What were the telltale signs <clears throat> of not being ready for uh for for moving to London? For oh, a- not really being. You know, I wasn't so good at catching trains. Obviously, I was from the country and I'd just spent a year getting used to Melbourne and that sort of a city. And then all of a sudden, I'm flying to the other side of the world, potentially like moving there with no return date. And like, uh, I don't even really know how the train timetable works, let alone you get into Hong Kong, there's 600 gates. I'm like, uh, all right. Fuck. <laughs> but yeah, I'm bit of homesickness a bit of this not really having very good people skills was a hard one as well like just just yeah it was a trying time yeah well now luckily while you were away you did have some support in in i assume your brother he was was he there at this point as well yes yeah so the whole reason we went there is because we were in doing a band called wizards of bats that was didn't really do a lot to be honest but we played a few shows around melbourne and then our singer who's my cousin pete decided to I did not move. know that you guys were cousins oh really no Pete he was like sung in photo feed and so on yes he's he's a cousin of ours and he decided that he was moving over there uh, and, and he decided that before he was even in the band so then we were like well we'll just go as well that's alright just, uh, just just just, yeah. just, just, just readjusting the microphone for you no problems I, I was trying to keep it coy and <laughs> let's just pause the podcast but you so he moved and then did Gabe move next and then you were like well I guess I have to go as well yeah or? we all discussed it and planned to do it as a band and and so we went over there but like we were all pretty young like early very early 20s and just you know full of ideas and dreams and really had no idea of what it was gonna take or what was involved and just how difficult it would be when we're all not on the same schedule and when your money runs out and all of a sudden it's like you know just like it's pretty easy to get things done in Melbourne here when you've got a network of like family and friends and all that sort of thing and going over there and you're completely alone and just like man I'm here with nothing but a dream of getting it done and I'm earning six pounds an hour working at night and just your drive slowly just gets lower and lower and you're just like what's happening so 
So then you came back and then you went back again. So what was the first reason <clears throat> to come back the first time? Oh, I came back to work, um, like doing grape harvester, driving grape harvesters. Basically, I was broke as, and I don't even think I'd had a job yet at that point. Just like, because I didn't really have any city skills. Like I'd done a little bit of bar work, but I wouldn't say I was a competent bartender. So I just need to get some money going again and have a bit of a reset. And so, yeah, I just came back for a couple of months, worked a bit, and then just flew straight back over there and enjoyed going straight back into summer <laughs> and, uh, that was good but I think it probably you know we ended up sort of just it, it's crumbled away that particular band and and we just oh, I, I just decided after another I think it was the end of the year um I was like well I'm pretty sure I'm done with this for now so I just decided to come back to Australia and and then see. wandered into an uh, electric dynamite fundraiser yeah. and then the rest is history yeah, that's right. <laughs> sounds uh, sounds almost elegant when you put it like that. <laughs> that's great. So, and then obviously, so you had Dynamite happening not long after that, I assume, probably would have been a year, maybe a couple of months after that first time you were back. I feel like it was a pretty short time frame, that whole kind of era. Yeah, right? I reckon when I got back from overseas, I went and did another bunch of work in South Australia and so on for a year or two. And then when I came back to Melbourne the next time, it was when all the ED stuff started happening because I, I reckon I was living back in Melbourne by this point. Um, so oh, it would have been t- would have been 25 or 6 or something, I reckon. Mm-hmm. 20, 24, 25 maybe. I still find this strange even now, listeners, if, if you've seen Luke and I'll put pictures up on Instagram, <laughs> I always think you're like older than me because you've got this like full beard and you've like done all this stuff and been to all these places. And I'm like, fuck, you're younger than me, dude. Like you, but you've seen some shit. You've like, you've done a lot of stuff. You've been in lots of bands. Sounds like I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so um, at what point in the kind of, uh, I guess to, to kind of, tied all back to the narrative now you're obviously in true believer now true believer are making some sick little waves at the moment but it's quite a new band it's only been around for like what under two years yeah it'd be under two years i think the whole thing started with that is because gabe i was in electric dino and he was going oh hang on what uh what's going on here (laughs) (laughs) i'm getting he thought he was gonna get left behind or something like that and so he started working on the true believer stuff which i think it was i was working under the name of hex at that point oh that's a pretty good name yeah, it was more like we we wanted to move away. Well, he did because I wasn't involved at this point. Um, so, sorry if I'm taking words out of your mouth, Gabe. He'll be listening but, uh, to yeah. me like, <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> Gabe, you can come on the podcast and you can yeah. refute these claims <laughs> next week. Clear a few things up. Um, so, but what about, um, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Leo Doomsayer, which was something that seemed oh, to happen right, kind of, right. in, that was in the middle somewhere there, right? Were you involved in that? or was that Yeah, just- so Leo Doomsayer was basically, um, we when we got back, from overseas we had all these wizards of bat songs that we needed to like put to bed sort of thing or like finish off and we could wrap up that whole sort of scenario that went down and just like just yeah a bit of closure i suppose for stuff we never got to achieve with the first band so we record like five songs or something like that probably only played three shows but then that all fell in a heap as well and then we just ended up moving on to the true believer stuff Excellent. That's really interesting. I think it's um, you, you hear a lot about that because it's not something that you end up hearing those those tracks. But a lot of times bands will have these almost post mortem recording and then um, 
have it just for them, you know, have it for this thing that you can like, yeah, like you close the book on it. And there's something kind of nice about that. Like, Oh, you got to get closure on that sort of thing. You know, there was good songs that we'd written and they, they had to see the light of day or there'd be a little part inside of me that wouldn't feel comfortable. You like know, moving on to more music. Yeah, yeah. And just like, oh, and there's the whole things that that whole what could have been side of life is one of the most tragic, I suppose. But it's something that you have to delve into, I think. And yeah, def- definitely recording those songs. And, and we'd, not that we did a lot with that band or anything, but it, it gave us the green light mentally, I suppose, to move on to something else and just finally put it to bed, put that whole chapter, that whole England, everything, and just like, it's time for rest now <laughs> and we can we can actually channel our energy into something that that you know and we're, we're getting a little bit more adult at this point you know you're getting closer to your mid to late 20s and you're having more of an idea yeah about what you want and what you can actually ch- achieve and so on so i think that's a big part of dudes in bands when they're younger is that like you'll follow a scene or a trend or a feel and that's a great kind of breeding ground for picking up those skills and getting better and, and feeling it and being like, you know what, I, I want to do something different. You know, like I want to change it up. And then I think that's the difference between like the, the, I guess like the scene leaders and the people that follow. It's like, all right, we're going to go in this direction now. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like what's is, is inorganic or unorganic. Like it, it feels organic to finish this thing and then move on to the thing that's like, oh, we really wanted to be doing this. You know, did, was there a feeling when you started hearing early True Believer stuff that's like, oh, this is what, this is what I wanted to be doing or this is like, this feels right. Did it feel better or? Yeah, well, like, I, I guess at the beginning for all that stuff for me, because it was more thrashier type, not True Believer, but the other mm-hmm. um, Wizards of Bats and Leo Doomsday, it was more thrashier type music. And for me, it was about proving that I could play it. And actually, you know, like hold my own with with the big dogs, let's so to speak. <laughs> yeah, um, like you're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just so, like it's hard. It, it's a, it's a hard genre of music to to play. Like you gotta you gotta sort of be all across your instrument. And for me, it was about trying to learn and and get better at playing the guitar and being able to actually do it. Um, so when we moved on to this, like the True Believer stuff, it was sort of. You know, it was a bit more uh, like 70s revival-y type, type things at the start, like songs like My Satan and Meet My Maker and so on. They're, they're a little bit more 6-8 vibe. And yeah, it was it was the Talk, first time I... Just did, quickly, we'll sidebar, because yeah. I'm not a music guy and I feel like a lot of listeners might not be either. So when you say 6-8, that's 6-8 timing. Yeah, just at so different times. can you show. give them that like in a clap or like what does that mean and how, uh, does, that, how does that evoke a 70s kind of feel? Mm, that's a good question. Probably... Yeah, like obviously four fours like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um and six eight oh see I'm not a drummer, I'm good. it's gonna be hard for me to put in a sound like idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. We've both painted ourselves into a corner of this question. I fucked up. Um Like that but- sort of thing. Oh, right. just like that different vibe like you know those pop songs that you hear on the radio that every now and again like a pop star will put out something that sounds a little bit different I was like oh my god but it's like that's a 6-8 song I can't think of one off the top of my head that's As okay usual. we'll have to you can pause the podcast again listeners. <laughs> six eight timing go uh, look up nothing something that I don't want to talk about check yeah. the wiki for it and I'll, I might do the same um, so I can learn more about music but um, so so you feel freer in this kind of it's a, it's a different vibe. You, you're not trying to prove anything with your guitar playing anymore. You can just kind of play something that feels fun and fresh and different to you guys. 
Well, you definitely get a lot more time. There's, there's a lot less notes in between what you're doing. And there's, you know, we, we both me, myself and Gabriel sing. Um, so there's, there's a lot more, there's more going on, but there's a whole lot less going on. Yeah. Like note wise and so on. And you actually get a little bit of time to enjoy what you're playing. Um, of course you still have to, like, I still probably, I probably work harder now on my guitar playing than I ever did. Um, but that's not about like that technical prowess of like writing a thrashy riff or something. Yeah, and just more playing just... fast and proving that you can play fast because that's what it used to all be about. Like, yes, I can play fast, but no, it doesn't really matter to me so much anymore. Yeah. It's more about, you know, feel and, and more just like, I guess, more more adult sort of uh, way of thinking to, to do with your music and how it's coming across and the dynamics and so on are more important than just being the most brutal you can be. <laughs> and it, you're right. It, it's a trap that I think a lot of uh, young musicians kind of fall into is they just want to like, want to be the best, want to be able to do this, want to do that. And, and less focused on like writing something that really could mm, like last, I guess in the continuum of music across like all different genres and time periods and where people are, it's like separating yourself and having something in that moment that's yours, as opposed to like, Oh, I'm just playing fast. Cause everyone else is playing fast, you know, like, well, like a yeah, lot of people I think get there's caught up a, in that there's definitely an emotional connection with playing fast as well because it like it makes you feel completely mental <laughs> like <laughs> like like as in like it makes you feel good like wow I'm yeah doing it. Like, just like like really pumped up like yeah there's sort of nothing else really like it and you, you don't know what you're playing at that point you're just sort of playing and and you, your mind's doing the rest because you put in the practice or whatever and you just you're just going but um oh i think younger musicians that they'll always keep doing it because there's a lot of like there's anger and you go yes like you want to kick ass and i totally understand that i'm just past that point now <laughs> which I'm, I'm really happy about because it's less draining <laughs> that makes any sense and at i all. feel like you would enjoy yourself on stage a lot more wouldn't you because you're like you're not stressing about just like go 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 next song let's go like it's it's yeah, just stressing like... about his other shit now <laughs> <laughs> what stresses you out now when you play a show oh Oh. You were telling me the other night, um, listeners, I was lucky enough to tag along on tour with True Believer on your last couple of shows and you were talking about there's a certain point in a song where you've, you've got to like flick the switch on your guitar and then jump back to oh, the, yeah, the 12th yeah, yeah. or something you were saying, is that? Yeah, there's the, the, the My Satan solo. Um, the first half of it is done on the bridge pickup, which is the switch all the way down and then you, yeah, you do the first half then there's a small break and then I've got to move because the, the switch on the Firebird's right up the front of the guitar and um, I've got to flick that up to the neck pickup and then with my other hand go up to the 12th fret and hit that and do a bend straight away and so every time that's coming I'm like hey, here's that bit that bit's coming on that's always in the back of my head just talking to me going don't fuck it up and uh, you the, the only thing <laughs> Because I don't play music, the only thing I can equate that to is when you're playing Guitar Hero and you can see there's like blue, see it coming, like yeah. blues coming <laughs> yeah. on the thing. You're like, that blues coming. I got to fucking move my fingers. Like I'm assuming it's that, but with much more pressure because instead of a plink plonk, it's going to be you not playing well in front of people. Yeah, you sound like a, yeah. It's, it's just not very, it's not a very good thing to be when you're being the feature little piece <laughs> in that song. You just muff it right up and you, you, people are going to know. Yeah. If they know the song, they'll know you got it wrong. And more to the point, you'll know you got it wrong. And then yeah. the vibe of the whole thing changes. Like if you get that, when, when most of the time I get it right. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, People are going to be watching you very closely. Yeah, I know. Oh, you shit, what have I done? 
They'd be like, oh, uh, saw that you uh, you didn't uh, you didn't get that uh, switch flicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I think, and it's funny. Like that was my, you know, I've I've been around bands most of half of my life at least, um, and and, and seeing performance and, and seeing that. But that was the first time I really saw where that you, the pressure that you put on yourself because like as a as a participant at a gig, I would never notice when you know people might fuck something up, and it's really mm. cute. Like when I watch Matt playing Blackhelm he'll make a little face when like he's messed up a fill or something. And I'm like, did you mess up that bit in that song? And he's like, yeah, I did. It's like a tell. But it's like, I didn't even know. Like it sounded fine to me as like an average punter, but you can tell he makes his little face. So he kind of like shakes his head a little bit like, fuck. Like, (laughs) yeah. And I I think the, the thing in the future to work on for me personally, anyway, is Is not having the towel. Well, not have, yeah, the towels are definitely bad, (laughs) but um, just, um, it's all about the recovery because you always, you know, you, there's always going to be times where you might just, you know, you might be moving a whole lot of like range on the fretboard and you, you go one semitone too high or something in the heat of the moment. And, you know, that, that sort of stuff's inevitable and hmm. somewhat unavoidable. You've got to be a fairly good virtuoso type player to get yeah. everything 100% all the time. Um, but just, yeah, be, being able to recover and, and sort of not letting it show or, or like getting 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 out of the mistake is is the biggest thing yeah. i think obviously ideally you don't want to make any ever but if you do you don't want it to ruin your whole little bit and you start missing other bits and where am i yes. what's going on oh. that's right i think it's it's ridiculous to put that pressure on yourself to try and be perfect on stage it's about making sure people don't know and they probably won't even notice like me like i would never notice if people mess up on stage I'm like that was great it was a six set and you'd be like oh yeah. i missed that one bit yeah that yeah one. that's so- the thing oh you, you can't be a well you know something that's a six set you go yes thank you it was absolutely yeah, but all band dudes are always yeah. so hard oh, on themselves you know fuck, no one fuck that bitch just for that like one second you get off stage and you you know that ego should be flying you're like beating yourself down like yeah. oh no i messed up that one bit in that song that no one would have noticed it's like oh fuck who cares man like i had a great time I, and i think that's for me and I feel like most of I, I can speak on behalf of regular people that go to shows it's like you don't notice that stuff you just enjoy what it is and, and like I'm, the, the fact that you're performing on stage in front of a bunch of people is nice enough you know like even having that persona when you're on stage and having a good time like that instantly resonates with the audience you know like and I think that's something that I really enjoy about watching True Believer is that like as you guys have because you guys have only really played how many shows have you played not many. Not a not between three for sure that I remember from last week. <laughs> um, oh, probably we, you could count on two hands the yeah. amount of shows we've done all together. Yeah, and I think that watching you guys grow over those last couple of shows has been fantastic because the live energy has evolved even in those three shows. You know, like even by the end of. Uh, when you guys played the last chance on Saturday, was that like you know Gabe got down on his knees and was playing guitar? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it was like it was you could tell that you'd gotten to that point of comfortability where it's like, right, we know what we're doing. This is cool. Let's enjoy the kind of moment you're in. And that's what I really like to see when I'm watching a live band is this like, um, that, like that connection with the audience and the band members that you're like, yeah, man, we're having a great time up here. This is great. Mm. As opposed to like four staunch dudes standing there playing everything perfectly. You're like, I don't give a shit about that. Like, yeah. I don't want to see that. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a good balance that you've got to strike. Exactly. You can't be, you know, um, old school Dwayne electric dynamite commando rolling all over <laughs> the stage. <no. laughs> yeah. Dwayne, we're going to talk about that when you come on the podcast, mate. Um, but like, but for me as a punter, I would love seeing that. But then, like, you, at some point, like, you have to actually play the bass guitar. You can't just be rolling around 
making Rory happy, you know, <laughs> being like, he's having a great time up there, you know, but so striking that balance, I think is probably very important. I think you guys have gotten to that point where it's very, it's very technically precise and it's also very fun. It's, I think that's, that's what you know, is going to keep bringing people back to the band, you know, that kind of, that mm. kind of energy. Thank you. It's most appreciated. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've definitely, oh, it, it'll, it'll evolve naturally over time as it usually does yeah and i think um, that's that's what's great is that once you have that freedom of like not stressing about that kind of stuff and then everything does come you know effortlessly afterwards like in between song banter and you know like you know like all that stuff is um it all comes from a place of comfortability right because if if you're a bit stiff and then the song finishes like like what happens what's going on in your mind when you're like, you know, you finish the song and then there's like a ring out and it stops or whatever. Like are you just focus on the next thing or are you kind of enjoying it, taking a breath. Are you looking for the beer where, where you put the beer down? Usually like? I'm looking for the, no, I know exactly where I put the beer down. <laughs> Let's get one thing straight. <laughs> Where's the beer usually? Do you put it on top of like, a, of like a head or like on the- Oh, no, I put it right like down next to my pedal board at the front. So it's always close enough pretty much. Or at last chance, there was like a little table to the right near that pole at the edge of the stage. So I just had it there easy access but beautiful oh, it, it depends what song because you we got different lead-ins to different bits and some some stop completely some ring out um and obviously on the ones where they stop completely the first thing i do is tune and uh get that happening again then i might um yeah probably have a, have a bit of a drink and wipe my strings down or something and wipe a bit of sweat off myself it was um, really i never noticed that that was a thing um pre-tour when I was uh, at Gabe's place getting ready for the tour, he had to find a towel because he needs a towel. And yeah. I was like, I never even thought that's something you need to think about when you're on tour. It's like, I need to pack a towel because my... Well, Cam kitted us out years ago with Jamison towels. Yes. So you use it, you're a... <laughs> I'm a Jamison towel user. Jamison. Hit up, hit up uh, Luke Toomey, Jamison, if you want to... Give me free stuff. That's great. If that happens, I'll be very happy for you. Um, <laughs> they ruined my life. No. <laughs> the least you could do is send me some free shit. No. Um, no, Jamison's good. I once, uh, I once vomited out the side of my buddy Bo's car. Sorry, mate, because of a bottle of Jamison. So oh. they, they probably owe him for that at least. You know? <laughs> <laughs> drinkable though. It's very drinkable on its own. What's, what am I, what do you point? Oh, speaking of which, yeah, well, let's, um, there's a bottle of wine here. I think we might have a crack. We're, we're, we're into that stage of the podcast now. We, we'll let it breathe a little bit anyway. Yeah, of course. Now, there's a, there's a bit of a story about uh, this wine, and that actually ties very well into your origin story. So while, this, while the wine breathes, why don't you tell us a little bit about the wine and where it came from? Uh, well, this wine is... Um, my father makes it, actually. Well, he doesn't make it. He grows the grapes that it goes into, and then, like a professional winemaker, I think A.T. Richardson wine makes it, but this is called Miner's Ridge. Um, they have internet and all that sort of thing, you know. We'll put some links up. Yeah, if you, give, if give them a plug. Interested in that, but um, yeah, like well, I grew up on a vineyard, sort of near the Grampians, um, and basically I, I worked in wine for years before I moved to Melbourne. Um, well, what else do you want to know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so that's, a, that's an interesting, um, you know, like upbringing in like a being so isolated out in the Grampians. Like, um, it's so funny when you talk to Melbourne musicians, you just kind of have this assumption that they're from here or that, you know, like you forget that a lot of them come from other places where, you know, you couldn't play music. So what was music like in your origin story? Where did that fit in? Like what age did you first pick up a guitar? Oh, well, like, like my mother's side of her family were all very 
musical musically orientated i suppose and like gabe gabe learned guitar before i did obviously being older um, <laughs> it'd be weird if you picked the up natural guitar. the natural order but um yeah so oh, i picked it up when i was quite young um and it was always sort of surrounded in what was going on but um yeah i guess it, it's a, you, you hit the nail on the head before and you said you have to make your way to a city or someone like Melbourne if you want to try and do like playing covers is going to be a different story you know there's plenty of work at the local pub for covers yeah and you can maybe get a wedding or two you know like, yeah well played a couple of weddings here and there but oh very nice well not not as the band just usually as a favour to a friend who's getting married um, <laughs> there's something there's something kind of a bit like nice but then also annoying about that where you're like oh dude like can't I just come to your wedding like, no you can have- yeah you can never like relax and enjoy it you've got to be yeah. stressing out because you're playing as your mates walking down the aisle and you're like well you know if you fuck this up it's <laughs> potentially someone's life changing moment and, what songs uh, what songs have you played for people coming out walking down the aisle what songs do they choose that's a big it's a good question um, well at Dwayne's wedding I played time after time Cindy oh, Lauper. I, oh, that's good. Yeah, it was difficult. <laughs> Took a week off work to try and learn how I was going to turn it in from a chick playing piano into a dude playing guitar. And were you playing an acoustic guitar? Or yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how did that end up? I'm sure I'll have to ask Dwayne then uh, how that went. I'm sure it sounded lovely. Well, yeah, no, well, it went all right. Um, yeah, I think I hadn't even got to the first chorus yet. And the uh, salary was like, righto, she's up here now. Can it? And I'm like... Like, no I put, way. I put work <laughs> in. Put a the week list. of work into this. There is no way. It's just not, it's not about you. Hold up, Kylie. I'm going to finish <laughs> this. <laughs> no, but, you know, Kylie, she definitely wanted at least the chorus yeah. to be sung once. So, you know, I made that call. You made a judgment call. I looked, looked away from the celebrant. I was like, can't see you. <laughs> just kept going. <laughs> Fantastic. So, obviously, you've, you've got that uh, fantastic wealth of information when you're growing up with as a big... as What am I trying to say? You've got a big brother. And yes. that's always handy when you're getting into music. I have a, a big brother as well. He's four years older than me. And thankfully, that means that he can start to kind of find music and dig stuff up for you to enjoy like so i was like eight or nine he would have been 13 and he's listening to like ramstein and the biscuit and corn oh, and yes. all that good shit so that was my kind of education in music other than what you hear on rage or video hits like what was gabe listening to when you were you know how many years younger what's the difference between he's also four yeah years so, older, so so how old were you and what was the first kind of uh kind of dipping into the music world Oh, I remember vividly, which is my favourite, um, probably still is, you know, my favourite record, probably from nostalgia sense as much as it is good, but I remember Gabe had gotten some dodgy version of like some gold edition of the Black Album, and um, I don't know, I managed to get onto it, and I, like, I was still pretty young, like easily primary school. Yeah. And yeah, every night I'd lie in bed listening to that, you know, listen to The Unforgiven One. Just being like, I'm going to get that girl. So, <laughs> <laughs> so is, this, is this on tape or is it like a CD? Like No, what? it was a CD. Yeah. Um, like it was, yeah, it was like, it was a gold edition black album uh-huh. and it was all scratched up, but it still worked. And I don't know where he got it. He would have flogged it off someone. <laughs> uh, he's probably thinking, listening going, actually I did. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, it was all. It's very easy for me being the second one because he's paving the way with all the. the oh yeah, of, he's got to dig through the shit. Yeah, and you know he's he's. I just get to get influenced by him, and it's yeah. so, it was so easy. They um they have a heavy a heavy crown to wear the big the big brothers in the family when they you're do. Like, you know like that's a I, you know we're we're impressionable younger brothers that's right and then you just got to be like right this is this is what's cool and, and they yeah. break down the parental barriers as well when they yeah. first get caught underage drinking and by the time I come along you know I get two beers to take to the party <laughs> yes <laughs> that would have never flown four years earlier oh man and we had that lovely thing where it's like oh Gus is going to drive into the party tonight mum it's all good and like drive through yeah, the by the <laughs> <laughs> yes. What do you boys want? Oh, it's like give us a slab of green apple UDLs, please. Yeah, Strongo seven for thirteen. That was the deal. Seven, seven, seven Strongo? for thirteen. How bucks. do you stack a seven pack of beer? Like, oh, no, you get a six size. pack, and they just give you one. That was just the deal they did. And I was like, yes, Sweet that will deal. get me totally shit faced. <laughs> Probably even have a couple to spare. That's it. Oh man, that's fantastic. That's uh, I think everyone has a has a moment like that in their youth for sure. Um, while we're still on youth, so yeah, so you, you listen to the Black Album. You're in primary school. So when did you first pick up a guitar? Like when was that kind? Oh, of Oh, before you? that, like before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would like there was like a crappy nylon string guitar that was always lying around, and Gabe used to play my mother's steel string guitar, which is actually in that case over there. Oh, cool. Um, but um, yeah, it was. Like it was always, I think I, the first song I ever learnt was a, about a girl, Nirvana, uh-huh. but like a real dodgy version. <laughs> I don't know, I would have been grade three or something like that. That's super cool though, man. It's but, very young for, you know, like I, I feel like a lot of people will pick up guitar when they hear Metallica and they're like 12 or 13 or 14. Like, yeah, you know, like it's quite young for, for picking up a guitar. Well, it was def- yeah, it was definitely earlier, but I don't know, it's, it's hard because it's not like I was taking lessons the entire time which I look back and I wish I was <laughs> I'd probably be a lot better now but yeah like you know the time you'll stagnate at times because all of a sudden you're off doing like other stuff and you're playing sport and music isn't isn't the first thing because you're like in grade six or you're I don't know eight or however old you are but you keep coming back to it and um oh it was only really you know like early early high school like year seven ish I was more into like acoustic playing and singing and so on and that's where that side all came from but uh, it was only later on like when Gabe had moved to Melbourne and he was playing in The Omen and he would have been 18 or something so I'm 14 and then he was more influencing me into he's like no no you need to buy a Les Paul and then And well, like a like a good little brother, you were like, right, I'll go, I'll go get one. Yes, whatever, whatever you, whatever you say, brother. So that's so funny. And and when we do, when I do have Gabe on the show, I will be talking about the Omen because that's a band for me. Like as a Geelong boy, I saw play. I think they played. I think they played the Potato Shed with like Pitch of the End and the Abandonment. I think that sounds right. Yeah, and I remember seeing that whole. That was the first time, like, because I was a young metal kid and I was listening to kind of like you know your evolution from new metal to like. Slayer mm-hmm. and, and then we got into like Dimmu Borgir and Cradle of Filth and that kind of like you know that kind of symphonic gothy shit <laughs> I still have a soft spot for ask anyone they'll know um, but uh, but the Omen and, and those kind of bands opened it up to like a kind of it was more aggressive it was more uh, technical and it was like less about like kind of breakdowns and what that kind of scene was at the time it kind of opened some doors so what was the stuff that he was listening to then that influenced him and then influenced you I guess by extension oh I like without you'd have to probably ask him for the 
accurate story, but I'll give you the butchered version. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is my new podcast. Yeah, yeah. I just get people on and get them to talk about other people. Just I reckon he was he was into a lot of like punkier type, like propaganda and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it did have to be heavy. You, had, you know what? You're going to have to ask him that. I don't know. This is a great leave that door open for yeah. like the listeners as well. We'll bring them back for another episode too. Welcome yeah. for two. <laughs> Come for one, you get two. So what, what were you listening to then at that point? Like that's what I'm getting at at least. Like when uh, you're, which, so you're, four, you're 14, you're 15. Oh, I think my band of that era was definitely in flames. Oh yeah. For sure. That was the first big gig I ever went to ever was in flames and chimera at the hi-fi bar. Oh, I chimera. Been... That was yeah. another one. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember I saw that show when I was probably about four, 14 or 15. I wow. Yeah. I've still not seen in flames. Yeah. Well, that was the only time I, I bought merch on the day and it was like an Indiana Jones themed shirt, but it said in flames and it had like little cartoon versions of yeah, all the right. band dudes and like a map. <laughs> I loved it. It was like my two favorite things. It was like, you know, Swedish metal and, uh, and Indiana Jones. Oh, they were great. They had it all, you know, like they yeah. had, they had the heavier, thrashier stuff. And then they had like that melodic, beautiful Swedish type, like trill playing and so on. And yeah, it really got me. Sick. So that's, that was kind of like a big click moment for you. Like, did that, did that make you want to pick up, pick up a guitar? Oh, massively, massively. And, and, you know, the first thought you always have is like, oh man, I'm never going to be that good. <laughs> and how am I going to, oh, I wish I could just get up and like play through that amp. You know, watching, what's that? The, the used and abused DVD that they had. Well, they, Gabe, Gabe got me that yeah. for Christmas or something. And I'd oh, go down to the it. media room every lunchtime in school and just put that on and watch that like a total nerd. But. It was that was great, and I, oh, I think I definitely learned a lot about. It, it helped me to to work out that that was something. That's a path I want to go down. And like seeing it, I'm sure would be so different to just hearing it. Like actually, be able to see the guys play the guitars and be like, okay, cool. So it's not inhuman. Oh, it's not like a, you know, like it's dudes doing it. You could do that. If it, you try it hard. Yeah, right? it's possible. Yeah, perhaps, and yeah, just just hearing them live or so on, and realizing that live music actually is what you like you can recreate what you hear on a record because mm. I, I had a music teacher and they'd always like put a gray area into my mind that it wasn't they weren't actually playing it but i think he just didn't yeah know what he was talking about. he's like yeah. sitting in a room yeah. like cut and pasting everything yeah no i think it's funny you say that like the inflames dvd there was definitely a time when i was of that age as well where like buying band dvds was more important than buying the cds because you want to see yeah what they look like and how they performed and like what that was like um I was just saying to you off mic earlier, we went and saw that Slayer thing at the, at oh, the yeah, cinemas yeah, yeah. the other night. And like, I remember buying like a, a Slayer DVD when I was 15, 16 and like watching those dudes play that live and like seeing Kerry King. And you're like, holy shit. Like it's so much cooler than, than hearing it. Like it's seeing him with his, like at the time, I think he just finished that full sleeve that goes all the way up to his fucking neck. Like it's like all oh. one big connected tattoo. And it's like, he's got the wraparounds on and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I've never been a Slayer guy. Never been a Slayer well, guy. Well, it could be controversial, but yeah. <laughs> just being honest here, never really been a Slayer guy. It's so uh, it's funny when um, I was I was saying to you guys, I messaged you guys yesterday. I was at the blood bank yesterday, and I was talking to the lovely attendant nurse person helper who sucks, <laughs> who sucks the blood out of you. And um, I showed I showed her a picture of you guys, and she goes, "Oh, those guys look like Slayer meets uh, the Bronx." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's a fucking pretty accurate, like... I've been called worse. 
I said you guys should put it on a fucking poster. It sounds great. <laughs> Slayer meets the Bronx. Fuck, people would come in we'll droves. We'll just change our influences on yeah. the website. Sounds like it. <laughs> on your MySpace page. Slayer meets Bronx. <laughs> so we've we've drifted very far away from you from your origin. So yeah, I'm I'm curious to to know a little bit more. Like you said, you've drifted in and out of guitar. You were playing footy. I know Gabe was a footy guy as well, and I find that very strange because in in my kind of experience of that those worlds never collided you're either a weird little music nerd mm-hmm. who played guitar or you're a footy guy and you beat up on those dudes with long hair so <laughs> so like what was it like to be a footy guy but then also be a music guy like how did you balance those two things oh it was difficult because i had long hair but then I, I think that's one of the only things that got me through was that i wasn't bad at football um <laughs> you know in a, in a country town and you get a lot more leeway when you're the captain of the team <laughs> You were um, captain of the football team? Yeah, yeah. That's but, amazing. But I also had long hair and sideburns and was that music nerd dude at the same time. So I, I don't know. And you've preempted the current footy look by about like 10 years, 15 <laughs> years. Like every cunt in the AFL has like long hair now, you know? Like they do. You know they do. You watched, I watched the grand final the other day. I was like, look at all these dudes. They've either got fades. Oh, you sexy motherfuckers. <laughs> They're like, yeah, it's fades or it's tied up hair or it's like long. I don't know. They love it. Um, so yeah, so... At what point did, you know, one of them take hold, you know, because you, uh, you, you, like you were captain of the football team. That was what age were you then? That was, you were uh, 17. Yeah. That's pretty uh, crazy. Yeah. Well, like I, I sort of, obviously I was still at school, so I couldn't leave yet. Um, so and like I quite enjoyed playing footy. I didn't like it. I didn't like all the, yeah, like all that shit, but I enjoyed hanging out with all your friends and sort of, it, it was quite a good, good feeling of achievement when you're all really worked hard at something for a long period of time and managed to get sort of a successful result out of it and you shared it with a bunch of like friends of yours mm. um, so, so that was one of the things I liked I didn't really like this representative side of football because everyone's just trying to get a spot and everyone will do whatever they can to get that place on the team and so I never really went down that path um, I think oh, I would have been 18 by this point and the day I was I got accepted into like a East Victoria, West Victoria or something challenge um, team. And um, yeah, the, the day I was meant to go and play that, instead of doing that, I just packed up my stuff and moved to Melbourne. This didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. That was the break point. That was, was, that like... was the point of no return. I was like, yeah, I think I'm shutting that door on myself there. But that's okay. Wow. So that was it. So so music and football were always kind of commingled until the point where it was like, I'm old enough now to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm going to play music now. Yeah. Well, I guess I never really, like it didn't give me that emotional zazz that music gives was playing football. Um, so it wasn't really a hard choice in the end. Um, and I don't know, like, how far are you going to go? Like, I'm not particularly tall. And... <laughs> Like you thought about it and your chances of getting yeah, the AFL I, I just, were... I was like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, And I didn't like that whole representative side. Like if I was going to do well, I was going to have to really commit to something that I may not even achieve, which actually, you know, when I put it like that, a lot of parallels to music. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but, that was the fun, like, that's the interesting thing as you were talking about that I did see a lot of parallels when you're talking about being with your friends, achieving something, working hard. Mm. Yeah, it, it is all very band-like and I... I think a lot of people in the music world turn their kind of nose up at sports. I certainly do. <laughs> like, just because it's like, oh, fuck whatever sports. But then you're like, no, but it really is. It's quite similar. You know, you've got to hustle. You've got to work really hard. You've got to get pretty much no money or glory for anything. Yeah. For this, for those little fleeting moments of 
when you feel really great when you either come off stage or you win a football game mm-hmm. or whatever. So, you know, maybe maybe that's a, a little moral for the listeners there to be like, you know what, sports is okay. Because there'll be some people yeah, who think- be like, fuck sports. Cause well... I'm- Sports are fine, you know. Whatever makes you happy at the end of the day. But and there is so there, zen. There's good people involved in sports, and there's also dickheads involved in sports. That's and the same as anything in life. I was going to say very similar to music as well. Yeah, just anything. Like you're always going to get knobs, and you're always going to get good people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking good quote. It's a good quote, Luke Toomey. The uh, the wines had some time to breathe now, so we're gonna. <laughs> so having a sorry a miner's ridge. Shiraz, thank you all. That was sounding nice. Mm. So now let's all get... you hear is <laughs> you're gonna hear some you're gonna hear some wine being drunk, guys. It's delicious wine. That's very nice, actually. Um, so let's get on to the, the main event now. Let's talk more about True Believer in depth. So I'm a big fan of you guys. Um, I was a big fan of you guys just as people first, you know. So it's always difficult when you see your friends band play for the first time and you're like I hope this is good (laughs) you know we're gonna have to lie about after fuck the the lighting was really good (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting being that you came and did lighting last week (laughs) smooth I didn't do lights those first time no uh, I saw you guys play for the first time at the Bendigo Hotel it was a while ago now I can't remember specifically what show it was but you you played and I was completely blown away I, I think I took kind of notes from it was a little bit Uncle Acidy it was a little bit ghosty it was a little bit like there was a lot of cool stuff in there that I was like wow I haven't really seen this in our like local kind of Melbourne scene done in that way that you were talking about that it was a little bit 70s influence it was a little bit um like uh yeah it just it, it really it really resonated with me and I was really happy that I didn't have to lie to you guys <laughs> which was great so um tell me us a little too. bit yeah it's great isn't it it's like a lovely thing to be really um, stoked on, on on that so tell us a little bit more about you know so you did the Leo Doomsayer stuff you put it to bed that was the old riffs you started writing new stuff so I'm assuming you know Gabe came to you with stuff or you know were you in the band at the first place or did you have to weasel your way into that oh, band? I, I, yeah I had some penance to pay I suppose whereas Gabe essentially from from what I remember he uh he started writing like my Satan all that sort of stuff um when I was in Electric Dynamite and he sort of felt like I was leaving him behind. And he's like, hang on, that wasn't part of the deal. We do this together. <laughs> Motherfucker. And, um, and so I guess when I, it first all happened when I was like, oh, this stuff's great. And I'd, I'd go around and, and sort of learn a few of them just for, through doing it. Not because he said, learn this, you're in. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to. And you then, needed to make sure that you weren't going to lose your spot in the band. Well, I, I didn't have a spot at that point. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, this is my thing. I need to do this. And I'm like, okay. Oh, but I understand. Um, and then I think... I'm he, only your own fucking flesh and blood, mate. I know. Frick. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was warranted. And I, um, oh, it was one day he came around here. I think it was a Saturday. And we were like, he was like, just come around for a bit of jam. You know, it would be, be enjoyable. And it was like, okay. So you come over and we sat in that next room and um, played a few of the songs. And I'd come up with the melody for My Satan, the... The, uh, in the chorus, the singing melody. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I don't want to hear it. I'm like, oh, I just got this bit. And he's like, I don't want to fucking hear it. All right, you're not in it. Fuck like you. he was very, very protective. Yeah, he's like, and I'm like, no, nah, just listen to this. Listen. And I'm like, start singing it to him. And he's like, oh, that's actually all right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've weaseled your way into a co-writing we, Well, and then a few more beers happened throughout the afternoon. And, 
you know, where then we're playing. It's like, yeah, no, actually, that's pretty good. And we're playing and playing, and then we're getting drunker and drunker. And then all of a sudden, we're in the back of our yard, and he's like, you know, he's like, of course, of course, you're fucking in. It's like you were always going to be in, you dickhead. I just, uh, you know, had to had to make you suffer for a bit, <laughs> make you realise. And then, uh, you know, once we got over that initial sort of little uh, little thing we had going on there, we started thinking. Well, we started drinking more, and we're thinking, who can we get to play drums? Mm. And that's where we first had the idea of Lachlan McCoy who's doing it now, but we, he was in Wizards of Bats as well, but we hadn't spoken to him since that band disintegrated, I suppose. So did he move to London as well at the time? Yeah. So, yeah, so like, did he move back at a point or were you guys in London together? Yeah, we, it all sort of fell apart in London and then he was still over there. Gabe was still over there. It just disbanded. I came home. I think Gabe stayed over there for another two years or something. Mm. Cause that's um, right. Cause it's so funny. Cause you and I became fast friends quickly, but yeah, Gabe Gabe kinda, have been here yeah, at that he, time. yeah, he came into my life much later. Mm. Um, because yeah, he's like, I just got back from London. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, so, um, in that time, was he working on, he was still probably doing that doomsayery kind of stuff at that time. Right. Like, was he working when he on was the, over there? Yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah. Cause we all sort of got that together once we got back here. But yeah, this is some time later that we still hadn't spoken to Lockie. Like we used to be really good friends and then it's sort of all just, I guess, the emotional strain and drain of what happened within Wizards of Bats. We just all needed time apart from everything. And obviously I can't have time apart from Gabe because he's my brother. So <laughs> the only person to have time apart from was Lockie. And, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so we were, we were getting drunk in the backyard after we initially had had that first jam where he slowly decided to let me in can i have it's a quick sidebar yeah, um yeah. you talking about coming up with the, the vocal melody is that with lyrics or is that just you just kind of humming over the top of it or like how uh, do you... i think um I th- it was it was a little bit of lyrics not 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 the main bits but i think it was my satan bestowed unto me my sugar oh. for the so that was all you had like did you th- work on that beforehand or was that something that kind of came out of you in the jamming class? Oh, that just sort of came out but that was before Gabe come over and that was that was what I showed him or cool. sung to him that's really um, cool man but oh, I think he he definitely wrote everything else on that song <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's right Gabe I'm taking that bit <laughs> Uh, cool. So you decided you would you'd hit up Lockie. So how do you how do you approach someone you haven't talked to in a long time and and you know potentially are unsure of what that relationship? Oh like yeah, in? great difficulty. Yeah, um, it was, well, yeah. I, th- I think Gabe had more reservations than I did. Not not through anything, but just not sure how Lockie would react because we didn't know we hadn't spoken for so long. And when you just have a complete radio silence fallout. And, and it's not because we didn't like each other. It was just because we were sort of burnt out on everything that went down. Um, and so we, yeah, I think I, I, Gabe, Gabe was friends with Lockie's brother and they'd seen each other um, recently. And, and he, Bryce had said, Lockie, would love to see you, you know, and Gabe got his phone number that way and then never did anything about it for another year or something. But then when all this came about, we're like, oh my God, how old are we? Like, it's time to get over this shit. And, mm. You know, first and foremost, repair this friendship that that was so dear to us. Um, and secondly, also suss him out and see if he wants to do some more music. You're just <laughs> two birds, one stone. Yeah, and, great. So I'm glad we're friends again. And uh, by the way, do you want to drum in our band? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it was not unsimilar to that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I pressured Gabe into getting in contact and 
it took a while, like not a while, but just like a, a little bit of pressuring and pressuring. And then he finally sent the text and I think it probably took a, a week or so for Lockie to get back to it and be like, yeah, because we were like, you know, what have you been doing? Let's catch up. And, you know, we had... Bring this, a drum kit. No, we had the band obviously in mind. But yeah, f- firstly, it was just that was the catalyst that we needed to go, hang on, because when you go back and you think about who could we get to drum you then think, oh yeah, and then Lachlan comes into our mind again and then it's like, oh, hang on, fuck, we need to fix that before we do anything. Um, and so we all just caught up for a beer one day. I think I actually drove and that was a very strategic move on my behalf because <laughs> I wanted to know what was actually going on. Um, but th- those two, those two, um, they, they had a car. I think it was last chance actually that we caught up and, you know, firstly we just started hanging out and it was all really natural again and and sort of four or five pints later, one for me. Um, <laughs> you responsible man, you? Yeah, the, the question came out. It was like, I think okay, it was like, oh, so, you know, fuck it. What are you, what, what are you doing? What, what are you doing musically? Do you want to do something? And um, I think initially Lockie thought we were talking about Leo Doomsayer, like reviving that, but then we sent him some other stuff and it was Meet My Maker that we sent him actually and... At the start, that was more of just like a 4-4 kind of a beat um, that was like a bit faster and so on. And then Lockie redid the whole thing and sent it back. And then we were just like, what is this? Like, what? He's completely ruined the song. <laughs> it's fucking mental. <laughs> but then uh, listening and listening over and over again, I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on. This has completely changed the way I thought about the song and it's no longer bored. Like I was you know, getting bored of that just same tempo sort of a thing and Lockie really changed the way that whole song is and that's how it is today, like how he sent it back to us. Refined a little bit more, of course, but yeah, that's how it sort of came to be and then we just locked in and started working hard to get to where we're going, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's something that um, Lockie is, well, I guess from my being closer to the band and understanding that that dynamic and... You know, everyone knows that in bands, it's not just about being good at your instruments. Everyone has to have kind of multiple roles. You know, you got to have people being like the social media person or the guy booking the gigs or the guy organizing all these behind the scenes stuff. And I think what I've noticed and what I like about Lockie is that he does have that ear for for the sound and, and where it should be going and stuff like that. And, and I've had conversations with him before about other bands and how, why they made a certain creative choice. And it's his mind works like that. And I really like that, that he's always kind of thinking about how to improve something, how to change something, how to make something a bit more interesting. So I think that is a, a fantastic dynamic to have in a band, like not a, not a naysayer or, or not like a, a resistance, but, but like a, like a person to be like, is that as good as it can be? You know, can, can it be more? And I think that's a cool thing that I think he brings to true believer for sure. He's a deep thinker. There's, there's no doubt about that. And, Oh, absolutely. Like there'll be, cause you know, but before a song gets sent over to Lockie, like it's, it's really, it's, it's well thought of, like it's gone through many times and, you know, arranged in all these different manners to see what, what's going to be best or what we think's best. Um, and then Lockie will get it and he'll then digest that for however long it is. Like usually a while, it would be a month or so. And then he'll organize something and send it back. And we'll sort of then work from there in the room. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a slow process, but yeah. but I feel like it gets results. Whereas it, it, some you know, you know songs on a record where there'll be those three or something that you fall massively in love with straight away. Yeah. But then the rest of them, you're like, yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and um, yeah, then much so. later on though, 
you end up loving the ones that you got back to and you barely listen to those ones that you love the most yeah, firstly the ones that have those instant pull and then you know it's always the song after that song that you like because yeah. you end up listening to it as much as you listen to that yeah, song you and then you flog it <laughs> Then it's got nothing left to give to you later on. But that's the sort of thing Whereas uh, that, that Lockie provides as well is because, you know, because everyone wants that instant gratification. And yeah, you want to like ride a riff and be like, check out this riff I yeah, made. Yeah, but you need, you need that Lockie figure to rein it in and sort of, you know, like Gabriel's pretty hot. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good way of saying it. Oh, for sure. No, I guess, you know, occasionally I can get excited about things as well. Occasionally, not often. No, but um, Lockie really helps to rein that in and put a deep thinking sort of point of view across with it and, and help to turn it into something that could have maybe have been something that you'd like for a while into something that you'll like more later for a longer period of time. Very and I cool. think that's very important to have a mix of those sort of songs. Now, so that that's that's three members of True Believer. How did Dwayne, the bass player, kind of fall into this? Like, how did at what points? Obviously, Locke was first domino to fall. Then, when how? What was the conversations about bass players and and what to do there? Well, firstly, oh, going back a while now, Matt Goldsmith started playing bass for us because he was playing bass in Leo Dunsayer, and we ended up just continuing on. Uh, me, Gabriel, Matt, and I, and um, you know that was all going fine, but. Uh, Matt ended up just realizing that he, you know, he, he just needed more time. We were rehearsing Saturdays and he, he just, I guess, I guess he, maybe it wasn't the exact sort of music that was what really got him going mm. and the effort that you had to put in giving up every Saturday and so on, as well as working like quite a stressful job or whatever is something that he wasn't willing to go forward with. And I oh, totally understand that completely like massively, you got to do what's right for you. And that's, sort of yeah we were without a bass player for a little bit and obviously Dwayne and myself were like really good friends from Electric Dynamite and we were hanging out a lot at that time and I think oh, one night probably boozed up showed, showed him some of the demos and um he was like oh, well I really like it like what are you doing for bass and because initially we were just going to look at getting sort of like session people in to play shows with us and so on so we could keep exact direction and control <laughs> but but we soon realized that probably you know being in a band part of part of what's good about being in a band is having that sort of friendship and and the mateship that goes along with it yeah and uh and there'd be something kind of strange about having what feels like a bit of a stranger or a tourist in that life when yeah you're the vibe shows, wouldn't quite know? be yeah. right but i don't know Dwayne Dwayne wanted to do it you know, we didn't ask him he he sort of asked us and i was like cool well, that's a good sign firstly because if you're that interested like you're obviously going to put in the hard yards and so yeah like we went about learning the stuff and Play, had a few rehearsals and then all of a sudden that was that just straight away it felt good and yeah Dwayne was in it's as simple as that really easy as yeah it was actually quite quite an easy process and and when again like we were talking about before with um the roles that you do outside of the band you know on stage you know Dwayne brings a fantastic um wealth of you know connections and knowing how to promote stuff and knowing how to like you know he does all the the cool design stuff that you guys do in like when it comes to instagram posts and things like that and that's a really important thing for a growing band when you first start is to have that you know like when you guys were first straight out of the box there was already like a, a design and a feel and a look and I yeah think a lot of that would have been Dwayne, i assume oh so much experience that he brought from uh, these days in electric dynamite plus um he also worked for a label 
um, and you know, sort of an expert in social media and merchandising and that sort of thing. So they, these are areas where in previous stuff that I've been involved with, it's failed at that hurdle because you know you can have the best music in the world, according to well yourself. <laughs> Yeah. which I guess every musician thinks theirs is pretty much but you know you've 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 got you've got that element but unless you have a way that you know to get people to listen to it and show people and so on and actually you know just little things like having stage plots sorted out and all that sort of stuff like just just so, all that professional side of things yeah. that, that that's more of the that trial by fire like emotional side of like oh the, i'm playing rock and roll doing whatever like that doesn't come into my mind at all yeah but for Dwayne, that's a very important part because he sees like a big picture of what needs to be done and and that's something that's like it's it's just yeah it's it's massive having that sort of a um that sort of an advantage and not not to mention that you know like he knows how to play the bass and he's great on stage yeah, he's got a definite look, you know, like and a look that fits into to True Believer very well. You know, it's almost like transplanting a lot of that kind of eighties oh, yeah. rock and roll kind of vibe that just kind of oozes out of that dude. You know, he's well, and it's effortless. Like he's got a huge presence and so on, and and um, but just just having having his knowledge as well, sort of driving the ship is just it's been such a breath of fresh air, and like it sort of it makes it that little bit more real because there's yeah there's more. Yeah, more stuff that you can see a potential with being able to happen. You said um, a, a word that I wanted to come back to just uh, before you said you mentioned stage plotting. Now, for someone who is listening that might not know what that is, give us a little bit of a rundown of what a stage plot is because I only found out what this was semi recently as well. I find that kind of interesting. So give us give us the rundown. What's stage plot? I like your stage plot. Well, if you've um, if you're any sort of a bigger band, probably bigger than us. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you um. You know, you, you send through your list of, let's say, demands, but it's like the writer and the stage plot and so on. So when you get up onto stage, this is how your stuff's set up. Like you might have guitar on the right with a vocal mic placed here and it's all like a little diagram. Yeah, it's like and, a little blueprint yeah, almost. Yeah, you, and then you've got drums here and you've got exactly what sort of drums you need, put at what angle and this and all that sort of thing. And then where you got the bass cab, where you got the guitar cab. So when you get up there, it's ready for you to go on. Like... You know, obviously we have to do all that ourselves. And if you're supporting someone, you don't really get a choice. Um, you just kind of make do with, with what you can. Um, but, yeah, like the other, the, this last week when we were doing the headline shows, we got to have everything exactly how we wanted. So that was really nice. Mm. And it's one of those things that, you know, you you don't even think about when, you know, you're in a band and you're playing these six songs. It's like, yeah, sweet. But then when it gets to that, you know, yeah, you want to be able to be up on stage, know what you're doing, have things set up because you've only got a short window to like, you know, get your pedal boards and yeah, get there's things not plugged a lot of in. Time. And no, yeah, you, you, you're, you've got about what, 15, 20 minutes. 15 usually, yeah. Yeah, and you know, people are off having cigarettes and drinking and whatever and you've quickly <laughs> got to like plug things in and make things and, and having a stage plot and knowing all of that stuff ahead of time I'm sure would be a fantastic resource in a starting band. You know? Yeah, so like you, pre-planning is huge and having having that already in your mind and, and just like, as well as, yeah, if you get to that point where you're a little bit further along, the, 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 the venue already has all that. So anyone who's working in that stage environment, they know what to expect. They know what to set up. They know what's going on. And yeah, I guess that's a part where in the past hasn't come into my mind at all, but mm. Dwayne's like, Hey, we need to get this shit sorted and this shit sorted. Like with that whole 
the whole early bloodstock thing, like having having Dwayne's yeah. wealth and knowledge there. That that's was right. stuff that I was like, what? <laughs> so that's fantastic segue because I was going to jump straight to that. So tell us about bloodstock. So you played. Uh, was that your second show? Third oh, show it was the third show. Third show, we, I think we played. So the third time True Believer as a band, you were playing. No, the, the third time we played was um, at the Black Heart in London. Then I think the fourth show was at, at the festival. Yeah, so you've gone from two tours of the UK, come back to Australia, start a band, and on your third show, you're going back to the UK. Back to the UK. <laughs> so yeah. tell us Eight a bit. Eight years in between. It was a nice little journey. <laughs> tell us how that all came about because that's pretty you know that's an intense i was actually funny enough at the time i was at cam robert's house um while he was getting all your pedal boards ready for a yes. uk show absolute is, master yeah so with the electrics and the pedal boards for sure so that was a sweet work on cam's behalf to have all that ready for you guys because yeah like you're oh, huge he, in, he, that's that's another element of professionalism that i wasn't necessarily ready for or, or knew about but like Cam's organizing all the stuff with the boards and like putting all our leads into like looms and so on. So yeah, cool. I, so for listeners, um, you know when people are playing guitar and they have a little pedal board at the front um, next to the fold back. But what Cam was doing was running cables with like spare cables in it and then like heat shrinking with a little heat gun like the... the... Yeah, so it's the one big cable yeah, and so you it's... just roll up one cable and then all like your, your um, effects loop leads and everything is all within that yeah. one cable so it's not like a big mess of leads on stage and just makes you look like you know what's going on so thanks to cam for that <laughs> so you've got this uh not only your own wealth of knowledge of playing in bands as long as you have but you've got this great support network of people that know how to do that and how to make that even better so your shows in the uk were going off without as many hitches as they would mm. be if you were just a bunch of chumps flying over there with some loose leads and <laughs> you know you're gonna be tripping all over them and stuff that was actually the difference between us being a bunch of chumps <laughs> we got to hide that <laughs> you still were chumps though exactly <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit so that it's, it's quite um uh, unorthodox for a band of your kind of at that at the time you're standing only playing what, yeah. a couple of shows in Australia and then you go across the UK so tell us how all that went about and what you guys got up to over there because that's a pretty intense well, time Dwayne and his wife Kylie they both work time after time time after time that's right uh, they both work at Bloodstock um, so like Kylie, Kylie's like artist liaison manager and Dwayne is a stage manager over there. So basically we're in the lucky position where we knew exactly who to email pretty much. <laughs> we had, we had the email address handed to us on a platter and we had a personal connection of, of people that could vouch for us not being chumps. Yeah. Let's say. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, all, it was all really late notice. And when it all came about, Kylie was just like, well, screw it. What have we got to lose? Let's just send, send, a, send a couple of tracks to Simon from Bloodstock. And yeah, he listened to it. Well, he, the first email he sent back was, oh, you know, thank, thanks for your email. We're, we're pretty much full, so there's not a lot of hope, but I'll give it a listen. I'll get back to you. And then, yeah, it was like a couple of days later, he got back. He's like, all right, so yeah, no, I really like it. Um, we're going to make a spot available on this stage here. If you can get here, it's yours. Wow. So we'll like get your shit together. Was that a frantic kind of oh, between the four of you guys to be like shit, like organizing? Yeah, I still remember getting the phone call and we're like, oh my God, really got to gotta tell work, got to do a bunch of shit. Oh, all right, let's do it. So yeah, we, 
we made it over there and, and we, we managed to make it worth the, I think it was the three week trip. Um, and so we booked a show at Blackheart in London. Um, and before that we did a week of recording with Jaime Gomez. And he has a quite a resume. He does. There's bands like Paradise Lost and Ghost, Orange Goblin. Um, um, Grave Pleasures Grave as well. Grave Pleasures. I'm big fan Gold. of those guys. He's, yeah, he's, he's a very knowledgeable guy and also a great dude. Like, oh, yeah? So good. Great to work with. Yeah, yeah. Just real real dark vibe, but like in a, in a, in a beautiful, wholesome way. Yeah, there's that really cute photo of the four of you guys with Gomez and he's just in the middle and he's got that got that beautiful hair and it's just oh, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. like to see, you know, he's got a really nice um, kind of vibe about him. You can tell that he's he's a professional. So that's, oh. so you've, so you've gone in the first uh, three songs for My Satan you recorded with Joel Taylor at the Black Lodge. Yes. Also yep. being on the show. Hello, Joel. Um, so you guys did that first. You had a little sneaky Tome of the Lord, which you'd recorded with, with, we Joel. did we did that at the same time as yep. the other three. We just felt like it wasn't the right time to release it. Fantastic. So you so you've got, you know, the greats from Melbourne to record the stuff at the start and then you go across the pond, you work with Gomez and you work on two tracks, is that right? Two tracks that weren't ready to go. Let's be honest, we were arranging on the plane <laughs> in logic, like going, Oh shit, like is this how it's gonna go? I don't know, I think I wrote the solo to from Loser with Love in our little band room like the annex uh, maybe the day before we recorded it like it was all quite a whirlwind so we weren't ready and the whole reason we didn't record those songs with Joel is because they weren't ready to go Mm -hmm. and it's like we were like well these are the best four being My Satan Meet My Maker Return to the Earth and Tome of the Lord like they they were the ones that were ready and they were our best four so we're like right let's let's do that and so yeah, you Joel, really Joel was t- also amazing yeah you don't have the time to be like hey Joel you mind if I just uh, work this shit out yeah. here? Like- <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a couple of months later and it was just like Kyle, like Dwayne and Kylie are friends with sort of Gomez and, and Steve from Crowbar over there and so that's where we stayed and they were like amazing hosts looked after us in every way imaginable um, and yeah like Gomez lent us amps for the tour and stuff like that like like a lot we got a lot of help from those guys mm. when we were there and without that sort of help we wouldn't have been able to get it done and it's fantastic for you guys to acknowledge that and be so thankful because I think you know a lot of people would just be like how did you do that but it's like yeah it's because of people like because of Cam and because of those crowbar dudes and yeah, because of Gomez 100%. like all these people kind of helping you just off their own backs to kind of like a, the rising tide lift all, lifts all ships is a, a, a nice saying that I really like. And oh, it's like, yes, because yeah, with, with, awesome. with all of, with all of their help, you know, you guys can become this band that, that we all know now, which is kind of fantastic. So since then you've, um, so you recorded servant with Gomez, with Gomez which yep. is now out and it's available. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can watch the fantastic film clip on, uh, on YouTube. <laughs> we haven't guys. even gone into that. <laughs> And we'll have to soon, but <laughs> because I want to plug my own work. Um, but as you should talk to me about the recording process with um, with Gomez. What like tell us about? Did you find anything different? Did you find was it stressful because you were in like a shorter things were time? very different. Um, not so much stressful. Uh, it, it was different in the way because like when when we worked with Joel, um, we sort of had more of a clear direction of what we wanted to do. And like, you know, we worked on amp sounds and so on together and, and like, like Joel hundred percent co-produced that first, um, first EP. Um, and, and he, he was great in getting the best out of us and all that sort of thing. But we, we had a lot of control as well with like sounds and, and where we wanted it to go. And 
when we got over to the UK, I think the main difference was um, <clears throat> myself and Gabe, which is something different that we'd never really done before in the past. Uh, we, we sort of just, because they were his amps, it wasn't any of our gear, except guitars and pedals. Um, but we, we sort of just let go of the, the, the sound type thing. And that's why the tone, like guitar tones, are very different to the previous recording that we did with Joel. And it's because we were just like, well, Gomez just went and he just went in the live room and dialed in the amps and stuff. And, you know, he'd come back to us and say, what do you reckon? And we go, oh, a bit of this, a bit more of that and so on. But we were we were very, very much, well, I, I guess we were a bit more hands-off in the way that we dealt with that. So we were like, let's just see where it goes because we've meddled too much in the past. And, like, I'm not a sound engineer. I don't really know what's going to translate good. <laughs> onto the recording all I know is I want it to be heavy and I want it to sound good <laughs> but that doesn't really you know it's really hard to explain that when you don't know what what to say what yeah. causes what I need to I need what causes the heaviness but yeah I think it was more of a skinnier sort of a guitar sound but that was we were experimenting with it at that sort of time and um like Lockie ended up recording the drums to tape which was pretty cool like I'd never worked with that like sort of thing before. Like one of those before. big kind of like the white Yeah, one of like old 1970s kind of tape. Yeah, that's and fucking cool, man. Yeah, the difference because he, he split it out and, and he recorded one into Pro Tools and one onto tape and just the difference in the playback, like the headroom that the tape had, like you could hit it as hard as you can and it would not peak. And then with obviously with Pro Tools, he'd hit it and, and I don't know, with the digital drivers or whatever it is, as I said, not a sound engineer, but... <laughs> It, it it was just yeah it was such a it was much skinnier when it was onto the computer as opposed to onto tape so it helps that Gomez is a drummer himself like he's you know right. so he's drum kits and everything and like well, obviously so is Joel yeah you know, is start recording with a guitarist so. <laughs> <laughs> any guitarist slash engineers out there put your hand up holler yeah right that's so interesting um, so okay so you've you've relinquished some control to Gomez he. You know, I'm assuming it's a very tight turnaround. How long were you recording for? Oh, like I think day, two, two days. days. Two days. Two days, yeah. So it was like... So it was drums, drums like... took a lot of the time as well. I think it was... Like, I usually record my guitars after Gabe, which, you know, can be challenging because any little bit that he changes, if it's just like, you know, conscious or unconscious... You have to follow. I have to then learn quickly and change it. So it looks like I don't know what I'm doing the whole time. Well, that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but I think it was like 10 o'clock at night before I um, started recording my tracks. And the night before, we, we only met Gomez the night before. So naturally, we stayed up pretty late getting to know one another and sort of eating, drinking together. And Did that you guys sort of talk thing. bands or talk? Like, what was the, yeah, what well, was the connection talked, point? We between? talked a bunch of shit. But. Um, yeah, it was. That's great. It was. It was good because, but but I suffered the next day. You know, and I think we we stopped for dinner at like half past six, and we went down to this pub. And I tell you what, I can't remember what it's called, but there was the angriest server you'd ever seen. Like I've never seen anything like it. You'd, you'd order your meal, and it's not just us. Like there's like an old lady orders her meal, and he's just like, oh, oh just like really pissed off. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? And and then you go to order. He's like, oh, I'll just get a coke as well with that. He's like, oh. Like, I, uh, it was very strange experience. <laughs> but um, sorry, side note of my own. That's I, <laughs> I I love that. I think that's so funny when 
like I've got a lot of memories of certain pubs where it's like, oh, I don't want to go there on a certain night if someone's working because you just don't want to feel like, oh, sorry, can I just please I get it? I sensed he owned the joint though, you know, and I, I didn't know. I don't know. He's just obviously pissed off. You know, maybe maybe just things weren't going well for him that day. You know, you ordering your <laughs> your meals just a Whatever the ice on his shitty one. cake. No, but but anyway. everyone, yeah. So <laughs> I had to go back after dinner. Firstly, eating and then playing isn't the way to do business. But mm. I um yeah went went back and um had to start recording at like ten at night. So that was quite difficult when feeling the night before as well and. Managed to get it done. There was only a couple of moments when I was like, oh, fucking fuck. But, yeah, it's, I think, oh, it might have been early the next day. Then Dwayne came in and did the bass. And then we finished off in the afternoon with vocals. But not a lot of time. Like, yeah, not a lot of time at all. Yeah, I could imagine that would be stressful. I mean, I feel like, based on my limited knowledge of recording, it's like drums is a huge part of it. You know, like get the room sound right, get this, yeah. do that. And then, you know, if, depending on your time frame, wouldn't like a lot of, say you got like four or five days, wouldn't like a good chunk of those days be drums and then everything kind of else follows after that once you've locked that sound down? Yeah, I guess it obviously depends how many songs you're doing as well. And mm. you're lucky because we're only doing two. So it's kind of a shame too because you spend all the time getting the sound and then the recording of the actual song is the quick part. So we still had all the all the setting up to do and the sound sort of finding to do. And then, um, yeah, once it got to, I suppose, recording the songs, that was the easy part. <laughs> but still, not not a lot of time to do, you know, if you weren't happy with something, we couldn't go back and redo it because we were already going to packing up to go and play in London that night. Mm. And so, oh, like amazing experience i learn a lot from it i think every time i go into the studio or something i learn a little bit um which you know you've probably got something wrong with it if you don't <laughs> or you're just really good <laughs> or really bad either way or diluted i don't know yeah maybe so that's pretty interesting man so thrust into that and so you recorded Servant there and from Lucifer with Love that hasn't even seen a lot of day yet that's from still Lucifer with Love hasn't no yeah that's still in the vault that's, yeah, I think we're sort of, I don't know the exact date, but I reckon that's most likely going to be early next year. Cool. That, that, that sort of comes out. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, the Servant Tour has been a, a fantastic little whirlwind for you guys, doing the music video, mm-hmm. playing in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne, headlining shows, which is fucking cool. And then, you know, like now we're heading into Christmas time, you know, we're heading into festivals and Christmas. And I think if you did try and release the song, any earlier than that, it wouldn't be, you know, you've got to give time to people to digest this, this yeah. new track first, you know, so that's good. And it also keeps you guys relevant, which is something that I guess being in a band is getting harder and harder now with the internet and streaming and everything. Like you're, you might be interesting for a day for someone, but then yeah. the moment that's gone, it's like, where's the next thing? It's like, well, just chill, you know? 20, like, the, what is it? The 24 hour news cycle culture. Yeah. And I think that's, it's so funny, you know, <clears throat> when you hear stories about people that will put so much time and effort and especially money like that's the thing that a lot of people aren't thinking about is how much this costs you guys to record and put all this stuff out off your own backs and then you hear horror stories of people like announcing something and then like dropping it but then something else comes to like kind of clear that slate Mm. the next day and it's like oh man like how do you keep that relevance you know how do you you know like how do you keep that momentum going which would be very difficult when it, it again it's like off your own backs and you're like wow you just pumping more money into this thing i guess now you know like it's it's so a, much money yeah <laughs> and yeah i don't have the answers to those questions no it's tr- it's a it's a hard one you know yeah. you just gotta 
have a good enough product for people to want to come back to which well, i think that's that's the hardest part as well i suppose well we've got from lucifer to come and then after that essentially at this stage it's going to be the full length is the next thing that we release so mm. we've got to get out of get our skates on should i say and <laughs> really really get riding on that because you know we've got a fair bit of it done but we've also got a long way to go but i think as as well it's, it's always hard because as much as you can force something and get your skates on and do it also having time to breathe and evolving the sound and, and feeling where you guys are heading with the music as well as the last thing you want to do is record something then feels disingenuous and it's not like oh we don't really that's not really us anymore or you know Absolutely. because because, you know, like a month in band time is a long time for you guys to feel, oh man, I'm playing with this different guitar now, or I do this, or I like this new thing I'm doing. Like it, it keeps evolving, it keeps changing. Yeah, there's already little bits in um, From Lucifer With Love that I play live that aren't recorded. That yeah. I wish I could, just little <laughs> harmony bits on there. But I'm like, well, that only, that was only thought of later. But yeah. that was the song that we were arranging on the plane on the way over there. So. <laughs> I was pretty happy that we got it to that point at least. And even even I've noticed you guys live with um, tracks from My Satan. You've got you know things all things are a little bit different, or there's a bit of intro now, or things yeah. you know. And I think that's fantastic when you can uh, evolve the song and, and enjoy it more. And it's still the song that everyone knows and loves on the surface level, but it's got these little things that kind of keep it more interesting for you guys because you're the ones that have to play it every fucking show. You that's know? what it's all about, keeping it fresh for us. <laughs> <laughs> But it's hard, you know, and it's funny, like, uh, I've heard conversations between band dudes before where they'll talk about, like, they'll put out a, an EP or a demo or something, and then they're like, all right, we're moving on to the next thing now. But it's like, but the listeners, like, the fans, that's all they know, mm. you know? So you, you go and you change too quickly, that, that might alienate people that, that just want to hear the thing from the EP. So I think what you've done with these, like, kind of lead-in moments or different kind of intros, and it's, it's enough to keep it interesting for you guys, but it's not alienating people that, like, love the EP and let's do it on Spotify. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a fun balance to try and get between, you know, making yourself happy and making the fans happy. Well, that's the hardest part, I, yeah. I think, about being in the band is that you got to realise that it's not, it's kind of not about you. <laughs> like, if you're like, oh, fuck, I hate that song. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter because if, if that's the song that people like, then you kind of have to keep playing it. Especially when you think about bands like Metallica and stuff, like how many times have they played shit from like 30 years ago? They have to play yeah. it every night and like dudes just go ape shit for it and you just be like, you know, I fucking, I hate from who, for who the bell tolls. <laughs> like, I hate. <laughs> Lars loves it. Yeah, bro. This <laughs> <laughs> a fucking, that's a long intro to that song, you know? Ooh. Maybe they're just like, you know what, can we just get straight into it? Instead of that, that was, the reason why I bring that song up is that's the first time when I was listening to as a, as a kid being like, the vocals don't start for like two minutes on that song, you know? Like it was well, Vocals first... were huge when you were a kid too. Yeah. Like, like... They could make a break, make or break, should I say, whether you delved into this new band that you come across. It's like, well, love the music, shit singer, yeah, next. right? Oh, I remember being cutthroat like that when I was it's, younger well, anyway. And especially now, like back then if you had like a recording, um, like, you know, a CD or a, a tape or whatever you had then, but now you've got Spotify. So you can just fucking next, like thumbs down on the yeah. Spotify radio and then never coming <laughs> back in that algorithm, you know, like never coming back. Um, except some bands, they always work their way back into the algorithm. You're like, I fucking, no. <laughs> as much as you think that you, as much as Spotify thinks that I'll like this, I'm not into this band. Um, so I find that really interesting as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the 
So there's a very specific lyrical themes, um, song titles, True Believer as a band name itself, you know, so it evokes a lot of uh, Christian religious kind of mm-hmm. imagery and, and, and words are used. And, and on the surface, I guess if you didn't see the band or, or really kind of listen in, it, it almost has like, you know, like you guys might be mistaken as like a Christian band. Smell that sweet Christian, Christian. Yeah. Gosh. You know, you got like songs called <clears throat> Servant, Tome of the Lord, all mm. these things. So like, was there, a, was there a decision at the start of the band with walking that very, you know, razor's edge line of like, you know, like having people know, I mean, obviously the fucking EP was called my Satan, (laughs) (laughs) which probably helps. But, um, and the fact that, you know, Gabe screams Satan at the end of, that's a return to the earth. You return to the earth. Sorry. That's I fuck Matt and I have sung along to that and tried to reach those notes many times in the car. It's a fucking, that's a great, great end to that little EP (laughs) and the show, which is good that you play that last. You just get that last a little bit of little bit of zazz before you leave yeah fantastic so um was that always a part like you know with leo doom say i'm assuming there was probably some doomy kind of elements but coming sh- directly into satan can you talk a little bit about like that line and, and, and where you stand on that as well um oh well with with all the lyrical themes um for once again like gabe's definitely the one to speak to about it because he's the one that's writing them like i don't really have much of a say or, or anything to do with like no but like what so he's he's a he's a lyrical genius like some of the some of the things that he comes up with so i'm like jesus how'd you come up with that you dark individual you but <laughs> but um like obviously melody wise like with harmonies and stuff like that that's something that i do mm-hmm. but um when it comes to the actual lyrical content that's 100 percent gabe and like obviously i understand what he's doing and it's all definitely it's all anti-religion. Like it's, it's not. We we definitely don't love God. See, this is where the Slayer <laughs> comparisons are coming up, man. I know you, you, controversially you said you're not into Slayer, but that's mm. like that hard line they walk as well, where it's like we're not necessarily Satanists, but we're just not into religion. Yeah, religion. <laughs> like, well, I think religion just. It, I don't know. It sucks. Mm, well, you know, and once again, everyone gets their little piece out of whatever it is that makes you into whatever it is you are or what you want to be. But uh, for me, I find that it's not something I need in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the religious themes are all like, um, you know, so what, what did Gabe say with the, with the servant? Uh, I think it was like something to do with how, um, you know, walking the line between um, the, the blind devotion that people have that their one true God is the only God and all the others are pale in comparison and, and that sort of theme where it's like, hang on, if you step back for a second and just see how absolutely batshit fucking crazy that is. Like, do you, is your one, your God's really, you, you reckon your one's really the only one? Like, really? Come on. And you just fuck. happen to luckily pick yeah. that one as well? Fuck, you are good. Like, jeez, <laughs> Jesus, dare I say it. It's, uh, you know, it's so it's just a bit like fucking come on it's a bit yes it's funny that if you kind of really look at it analytically you're like mm, yeah I don't know how I feel about it. and I find that funny it's like oh so you happen to be into the god that's really popular in your the country right that you're in yeah like that's the same one yeah, and it's yeah, different yeah. to the other country's god that, that's pretty does the same shit <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know obviously not without going into a big chat on my views on religion and all that sort of thing. Cause that's a whole other thing. 
but it's, altogether. But it's, but it's shaped by your experiences, your life, like what you've yes. been through. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's, you know, in your life, it's been different to other people's. You know, and that's it can only be you know you can only be shaped by your experience because that's you. You know. Well, absolutely, and it's 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 definitely got something to do with the loss of our mother at, at a young age. Mm-hmm. So I think, oh, like, I would have been five, and Gabe was nine. I think when that's our, like our s- mum passed on, it's such a young but, age to be kind of thrust upon with that. Yeah, you know, and like, I think there was a bit of religious stuff going on before that for us. But I think the main the 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 reality was that, um, like, mum wasn't so much religious, but towards the end of her life she was because she was searching for something because probably because she knew she was going to die um, which is a, a harsh reality to be faced on anyone you know yeah like, and so she she was just reaching for anything at that point and like as an adult i totally understand that now at the time not so much but i think that that whole situation's definitely shaped our views and so on and it's only now that i can look back and have a little bit more of an understanding on it and be like okay well it definitely does make sense uh that you know, she wasn't necessarily religious, but well, like you know, there's probably an element of religion if you don't just you don't just all of a sudden reach to God if you never believed in any of it. But mm. when um, you know, when when all is lost, well, you got to look for some sort of divine intervention, and and I think that's where a lot of the um lyrical themes are, are born with, and that's it's it's shaped a lot of the different things between sort of mine and Gay's relationship, and and. Were the paths the were the path that we have both sort of chosen? Mm. It's um, it's a heavy thing to be burdened with. It you you said you were five years old when you lost your mum. Like that's awful to to kind of like you you wouldn't really have a grasp on what's happening at that point anyway. Like I can't even remember what I got up to at five. But then to be like burdened with that and then and and, and have it kind of coalesce co- coalescing with. Uh, you know, religion and all these things as well. Like, you know, you're, you're a young, impressionable mind, you know, you could kind of go anywhere at that point. And to be burdened with that kind of, that tragedy, it's like, you could go anywhere, you know, you could have ended up being like a priest as well, you know? Well, <laughs> probably, it's a, that's a stretch of being a priest, but... Um, but, it, you know, it's, it, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the extreme on the other side, you know, of like... Well, I knew less about what was happening at the time, to be honest, like with if, with that whole side of things. I remember going to church. I remember not understanding why the fuck I was there. but And why you're sitting up and kneeling and standing yeah, up. And... Well, yeah, well, I never got that far into it, um, to be honest. But like, you know, there was there was actually good parts of it too that happened so early to me, whereas you know, I've had a lot of time to reflect over the years and, and sort of the better times, well, the better times, the, the better the better parts of me was there's, there's that I was so young that in a way I've grown up without really knowing any, anything else. Right. So that's a positive that I take out of it. Um, and yeah. Cause, what do you, what do you mean by that? By not knowing anything else is in not knowing. Well, it's not like I imagine it'd be a lot harder that if you were like 25 or you, or you're 18 or you're 16 or something and then you lose a parent. Right, like I, because you were be young, like, it would, it became it's, just it's, the norm. Fuck, like it, it, it but I, I, in a, in a way, for me now, it was so long ago that it was kind of a dream. Like, um, you know, it certainly took me a long time to be able to speak about it or fucking look into it or whatever. But I, what I deduce from that is that yeah, there's there is I've got to take elements of positivity out of it, 
and you know there's a lot of some surely it's fucked up a lot of things in in my emotional sort of well-being and so on which you know you work through or whatever but but it's all it's all unbeknownst to me because i don't really know anything else it's all kind of ticking away in the background of your mind yeah and it's just um like yeah it's it's it just is the way that it is that's how my like my life is and you know not not to say that i didn't like you know it's not like i was cast out by myself at that point like i still had a father and then later on had a stepmother and so on that that took amazing care of us um so like you know i was lucky to to get the sort of things that i did in the aftermath i suppose but yeah like you, you've got to you can go you can probably go so dark if you choose but I try and take a positive note out of it, and and you channeled that kind of darkness into the music that you. Well, playing. yeah, that's that's where it. There's always that side of things, and I think it, it's a it's a certain release, and it helps you it helps you to deal and become yeah sort of okay by. And I think there's, in some weird kind of way, it gives the band a little bit more weight. So the stuff that you're saying isn't just these kind of hollow. Oh yeah, well we denounce religion or whatever. Like yeah, no, it, it it's comes from a, a actual place. experience. Yeah, that, like you guys yeah. have been have been burdened with this kind of like band aid solution of religion in, in times of tragedy, which doesn't really even you know as a five year old and a nine year old like you you kind of understand that there's a little bit something hokey going on. Yeah, um, and then you look at it later as well in life, and you're just like, what? Fucking what? But, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, and for you to be kind of to be thrown into that at an age where you don't really know what's happening anyway. Like, there's a lot of stuff I'm sure happening at that time. Like, could you um, could you elaborate elaborate a little bit on the story about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Could you please tell the story for the listeners? Which uh, which one? Ah, uh, yeah, right. So just, well, just, then I guess listeners. this comes on. This is a bit of another another thread where it's like comes down to the fact that. You know, having Gabe as an older brother, he's always 100% looked out for me. Whether I knew it at the time or not, that doesn't matter, but he's always had my back. And having having that sort of relationship is quite amazing. And it's something I don't think a lot of people get to have, like knowing that no matter what the fuck you do ever in your life, you've always got this one person standing behind you. And it's, yeah, it's it's quite a strange, humbling experience. And in like it happened very early. And in particular, this story, we we were pretty young I, I can't remember i was obviously older than five but younger than seven um, <laughs> and um we, we were staying at our grandparents house which was my mother's mother and father and um they they were somewhat religious and by this point gabe had realized that you know that's not for him and i was still four years younger so i was very impressionable and just like i just wanted to do the right thing by you know, be everyone good, just be a good boy. You know, who yeah. doesn't want to be a good, be a good boy? But uh, you are a good boy, though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's all I want to be. No, we're <laughs> <laughs> so we're cleaning our teeth in the bathroom, and we're staying with our nana. And um, she says, oh, "Come here, boys. It's um time to say the rosary." And um, I'm like, oh, "I'm just cleaning my teeth. I'll be out soon." You know, and Gabe's like looking at me like, "Don't you fucking dare." And I'm like, oh no, like I've got this this feeling. I remember the feeling like I, I need to go out there. And she's like, come on boys, time of the rosary. And Gabe's like, I'm, I go to go. And Gabe grabs me and he's just like, sorry Nana, not tonight. And um, she's like, what do you mean? He's like, we're not rosary boys anymore, Nana. 
<laughs> like this is like a 10 year old kid you know and i guess that's um that was probably the beginning of uh, the rebellion yeah. that is gabriel to me <laughs> I want to see like a tattoo of someone just going like we're not rosary, rosary boys, boys anymore, anymore. Nana. <laughs> yeah, it would have taken some balls. I remember just like feeling like scared, but I was like, no, nah, I will follow the lead of my brother because I trust him. Yep. And I know that he's got my back and I even knew it then. So I was like, yep. Not rosary boys here. <laughs> so that was your first defiant move against religion at, at such a young age. Yeah, well, inspired by Gabe. So, he he set you on the right path, I reckon. Well, time shall tell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So, before we close the door on what is a little bit of a dark chapter in your life, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up what uh, Mal, big fan of the show. Hello, Mal. Um, hey, Mel. She uh, she asked me to tell you to get you to tell the story about the gun as well. Can we can we elaborate a little bit on that? The as gun, well? right? So, well, you know, looking back, it's more of a it's it's more of a story about how you know, like what I'm 29 years old and you know the child of the 90s, and this is when all this is happening, um, and. Uh, so so much more of the wild wild west was the entire fucking world back then as yes. opposed to what it is now because like i don't know we you, have so many more rules oh and standards and body cams and just fucking yeah everything's being recorded whether it's a podcast everything or not, in you there know? you gotta you gotta fill out a fucking msds sheet just to be able to i don't know what's an msds sheet oh like um like like uh what's the word you know, like like a, a pre pre inspection plan for how you're gonna perform the job safely or whatever if you're yeah. like some sort of a work site or something like yeah. that. Um but you know, read the protocol and make sure everything's up to scratch and it's gonna be and safe. And you've done your module beforehand. Yes, to, you've you fully know. trained, you're signed off, you've licked that stick. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it was not it was not long after Mum had died and there, we, we were in a house we were living in uh, Wollonga Wollonga yeah at that point and a policeman had come around to the house and he was having some sort of a conversation with my father fuck knows what about you know I don't know I was five but <laughs> I just I remember really having no concept of you know that you're probably not going to see your mum again well definitely not <laughs> but um, unless we do some kind of fortune telling uh, well you know, you know Ouija what, board what other cards you got in there mate I'll give it a go <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring the crystal ball with Fuck. me I just I only brought the tarot cards the blood right? rock <laughs> bloodstone it's in my pocket uh, fantastic but, yeah so um, <laughs> blood <mate>. rock <laughs> it sounds like a festival I'm oh, playing blood rock next week Oh, I've got to stay focused. <laughs> right, so this this policeman came around to the house and he was talking to Dad about something. I remember just being like a fucking psycho little kid jumping off the walls about whatever it is and, um, you know, being a kid. And he came around and I saw this is when, like, the police still had a revolver as their issue firearm or whatever. And I saw it and I was like, fuck, yes. And I'm like, oh, can I have a go? <laughs> probably didn't <laughs> say I, it like that. Can I have a go? <laughs> probably didn't say it like that. But um, I just remember him being like, you know, oh yeah, this poor little bastard. You know, he's yeah, absolutely. He got his gun out, 
got rid of all the bullets and everything and then I remember him, he flicked the revolver part around and then flicked it on like back into the gun like he's some sort of Clint Eastwood motherfucker <laughs> and then he gives it to me and I'm just there and I remember I could barely hold it it was so heavy and I'm just like yeah, pretending man. I've got a gun I've got a cop's gun and he's just in my house and it's kind of surreal when you think about how like I, I don't see that happening in this day and age and it's it hasn't, like, but it's not that long ago. Yeah, dude. It's the only thing I can think of that is the equivalent is like um, in Superbad, where they let McLovin like <laughs> use shoot yeah. the gun. Like, yeah. You had like uh, a Seth Rogen style cop just give yeah, you his revolver. I don't know. I feel like it was just it was just all part of the job. <laughs> Bring a smile to a young kid's face. You know what? That's you know that's how you connect with the youth. You know the police of today. Maybe they need to give people more guns to that's play right. with, with no bullets. You know it's safe. And ever since then, I've respected police. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck! Oh man! So you know, I don't think many people have held a cop's gun before. I feel like that's you went through some really horrible times to to, to get to that, but. That's a special moment, holding a cop's well, gun. Well, you know, I still remember it all these years later. So. <laughs> I don't remember much from when I was five, man, but for you, solid memory. Probably too much, but, <laughs> you know. Have you held a gun since then? Yeah, well, like, I, I grew up on, a, on, on land, so we had a certain amount of firearms at home. Didn't really use them heaps, like... I don't have a license, so I definitely didn't shoot him ever. <laughs> <laughs> In case that same policeman's listening from all those years ago. Solid. That's a rock solid. Uh, <laughs> they can't get you in court for that, buddy. We've got it on record saying you never shot one. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, no, but not a handgun. Like fuck. I've never held a handgun since. I um I have over will. A psycho man. I was in. Uh, I have a cousin who is is an American. Lives in Texas. My um. I think it's like my grandmother's sister was an air hostess and married like a pilot. Yeah, right. And then now I've got this like kind of like a separate little lineage over in, in America. And she's married to a, I think it was originally from Louisiana, but they live in Texas now. And I went and stayed with them for a couple of days in Austin, Texas. They're like, you want to shoot guns? I was like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> you, know you, you know I do. And they, <laughs> they had like the handgun that I shot at the range, which was psycho. Like, um, and he has like a gun vault in his like bedroom or whatever. And it's like, Jesus. whoa, like, yeah, guns... There's something happens when you hold a gun. Like, I understand, like, obviously, where we are in Australia with the laws we have. Very good. Safe. Fucking Happy fantastic. with that. Got them. No one's going to get shot yeah. uh, as likely as you would. You can mouth off right? as much as you want. <laughs> no one is going to pull a gun on you. And then I remember they were telling, um, my, my cousin's husband was telling this story about how, like, you know, you can have a gun now in your car and then recently changed the law. When I was in the States, probably about four or five years ago, but they were saying they'd recently changed the law in Texas that um, they've got that whole rule that, like, if someone comes onto your house and you shoot them, totally fine. <laughs> so it comes onto your house. <laughs> <laughs> someone starts hitting on your house after a few drinks. Motherfucker. You're like, step away, buddy. She's yeah. not interested. That's my house. Um <laughs> well, a, a, a steps onto your property or whatever, you can shoot them all good, right? And Jesus. then they were saying now that they've, they've amended the law so your car acts as the same deal. So if someone tries to come and carjack you and you shoot them, totally fine. So like in Texas, they have like guns under like the seats of their car. Shit. So if anyone tries to carjack you, you can just go in the car, in the clear. Isn't that psycho? In the car, in the clear. Well, I just made that up. Yeah, they, no, they that's make a that. great catchphrase. They should make that. Rory. So, 
you know, like I understand that feeling. I understand that it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful force, man. Like, a, a, like, man, it's crazy shit. Yeah, like, I don't know. I guess I'm not so into guns. I'm, it's not something I've pursued since that time. Neither. When in Texas, you know. Yeah, well, I've never been. Hopefully one day. <laughs> you guys can play a South by Southwest show. I think you guys do really well over there. Well, you know, I'm not going to rule it out. It's not really up to me at this point. Still a couple of steps between now and then, right? As yes. we talked about, we've got to have to record like a full length, get that out there. We do. Um, do a bit more promo. This is my terrible segue to talk about the music videos. So, ah, right. Yes, I forgot we haven't spoken about that. Keeping myself on track. Now, <laughs> so I guess what's, what's fantastic is, and what I love about mm. this podcast is it, it gives me an opportunity to talk to people that I know you know, sometimes I don't know them at all. Sometimes I know them pretty well. Like you and I have been friends for quite some time, but it's, um, it's fantastic to kind of like spend some time sitting in a room, talking, having a fantastic conversation. Listeners, I hope you're enjoying this as much as we are. We're pretty deep in the wines at this point. So it's very nice. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, what's been fantastic about, um, my relationship personally with true believer has been working with you on the music video side of things. Um, this is all feels pretty well succinct with this whole episode because as we mentioned earlier, I have a past in video production, uh, working with other people. But the first time I kind of went solo and kind of worked as my own man doing my own thing was with True Believer, Tome of the Lord. That was something that uh, I think me just having a little bit of bravado and stepping up and saying to Gabe, like, hey man, I'm gonna, I, can make a, I can make a video for you guys. And uh, that led to a fantastic creative like wonderful experience between myself and you guys and mal hello mal i've mentioned you twice now big fan thank you for listening um (laughs) it's been great it's been this opportunity for us all to hang out and that's really like what i I guess i love about the music scene and the fact that i can't contribute that much not being a musician but but doing the podcast and doing videos and things like that's been a really fantastic opportunity and it's been so lovely working with you guys creatively and and sharing ideas and and working on stuff and i think what we did with dan farmer the guy who shot tome of the lord and ben halweg who did some of the uh, secret stuff hiding in the tvs and then working with ben again on servant has been this fantastic creative experience and i just wanted to kind of talk to you about that and how you felt about these because um i just want your praise essentially on record (laughs) you'll get it so tell us about like what your kind of experience was with Tome because you were kind of a little bit on the outside there where we were kind of collaborating. Gabe and I were working quite closely together. And then, you know, you kind of roll up to these <clears throat> elaborate shoots. What, what was it like being a band guy? Like, had you done music videos before this? Like, in any of the previous iterations no, of bands? No, never. So what was, was it like one. to get into Kindred Studios in Yarraville and, and, and mime playing guitar for a music video? Was that kind of surreal? Oh, great. Yeah? No. <laughs> yeah, well, as you said, like, it was more of a your and Gabe's kind of a brainchild with Time of the Lord. Um, for that whole time period, like, I, I was working a job where I was, I was doing 60 plus hours a week and I really could not be involved in anything even if I wanted to, I wouldn't have had anything to give to it anyway. Um, which is lucky because what turned out was good and I didn't have anything involved <laughs> in it. So you didn't feel like if I fucking work less no, hours, that thing could have been better. No, it, would, it was perfect. But um, yeah, so I suppose um, I didn't know what to expect. Like one of the things I really struggle with is um, working out how these plans translate onto film or 
when we're actually filming things, how it translates into the grand scheme of the video. Like, sure. I have no fucking idea. Um, and I, I'm not going to pretend to. But Much like you with uh, being a sound engineer, you know, like there's some stuff that's just a bit ethereal. There's, yeah, there's many things the... that I'm not going to, like knowing what 68 Tommy is and how to portray it to the <laughs> listeners. I'm not going to pretend to know. Uh, um, but um, yeah, I guess um, walking, firstly walking into Kindred and um, playing playing through that stuff and just, just like, you know, learning how the lighting plays such a different role and... And just getting getting direction from you, and you've got like this whole storyboard sounded out of what you need and what shots you want to get. Um, having having like just just learning not to look at the camera, where to look, trying trying to be natural while you're on camera. It's pretty hard because you know it's there. It's not oh, like Big man. Brother where you fucking forget about it when you're in the shower and it's all good. Yeah, you know. I think but, that's that's a really interesting. Um, thing you bring up there because there's two schools of thought you know because there's two different types of video you can do you can do the one where the singer sings like into the camera cheesy when you're in the band I reckon and it becomes very like because you know that 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 line that you draw in the sand it's like all right here's us and here's the audience but when you look into the camera there's like this that line gets obliterated and it becomes a little bit uncomfortable Yes, and then you break the fourth wall. Very much so, yeah. So then you go, oh, and then as a viewer, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this dude like screaming into the camera, yeah, looking ugh. at me, like <laughs> it's a little bit it's uncomfortable. Violated me. <laughs> but then, but you can't look too far away because then it just looks like you're just looking into nothing. So there's 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 this like look, and and I'm no expert on this, you know, as much as I helped make these things happen. But you've got to try and strike that good balance. And I think what was what was fantastic about you guys was that with you know only a slight push you guys pull it off. And even in... So listeners, if you can please go pause this podcast and go watch Tome of the Lord and Servant on YouTube. Both of them are there. They're both fantastic. The The first clip, Tome of the Lord, was uh, an idea that kind of came from Dan Farmer. He's a fantastic filmmaker who will probably get on the podcast at some point soon. Dan, I'm coming for you, buddy. Um, <laughs> he had this idea that he wanted to do like a, a, a walkthrough crime scene style video. And uh, we were like, that's fantastic because we want to do kind of like a cult house, you know, like a post Jonestown, post uh, Heaven's Gate kind of cult situation. That was kind of the origin of this, uh, of these two ideas kind of melding together. And um but then this idea of having you guys play in the TVs that are all scattered around that first clip, it's great because you put in all this extra effort to do... Um, thank you, Ben, another person we want to get on the show very soon. I say we like it's more than me, but it's me. I want to get Ben on. I want to get Dan on. We'll have him on the podcast. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, good idea. I'm down for that. Yeah, if I go... Ben and Dan <laughs> as, as guests will be fantastic. So, you know, Ben gets called in like very short notice to film you guys to play. That's just going to be a kind of throwaway thing that, that, that ends up on the TVs in the main shoot. And he ends up making this fantastic video that, that we've got now. That's a whole video of you guys playing the whole song, Tome of the Lord in a white room. You guys look fantastic. And then it ends up being this fun little element that, that, that comes into play in the main video. Um, so, you know, like, but you sell it with this fantastic presence you guys all have. You guys look great. The guitars look good. Everything matches the outfits. Everything looks fucking super cool. There's a there's one specific shot of you that I made sure Dan put in the edit, which is when your eyes kind of like are rolling back at a certain point when you're singing a bit. And I'm like, make sure that bit gets in the clip because it looks creepy as fuck. It looks very 
looks very 70s looks a bit satan-y looks a bit cool so um yeah like was that a was that a kind of surreal thing to be to be on camera and to to do all that kind of stuff is that all the stuff that you do band wise does it train you to do that or is it all very foreign oh i'd have to say it's all very foreign it's not yeah you i think with with all the band stuff you're never really thinking about how's this gonna look on film Mm. um it's more in the moment kind of thing yeah and and as you said like with a bit of coaching we were able to pull something off that looked half natural but yeah at at the time it's hard because like i remember that eye bit that you talk about and Mm. it's sort of like i don't remember doing it but you you don't know where to look like you try and look here and there you don't look you know it's like it's like you tell someone not to look at the light and all you want to do is look at the light and the light's the camera and you're just like don't fucking look at it you know like it's it's it's, and it's got this sort of um like I assume it's similar to when you jump on stage with electric dynamite and you need to just hold on to the mic stand for dear life, you know? Like you've got this one little thing that you Fucking can hold on. Save to. me. Yeah. Well that that had its own um that had its own <laughs> challenges, I suppose. But, but you're always being faced with new challenges being in a band because yes. it, it might be all good to write some riffs and sing some songs, but then the moment it comes to like promo photos or music videos or all these things where you're like fuck what do i who am i like it starts to make you wonder like it's a deeper question (laughs) yeah (laughs) but oh the photos definitely get you um a little bit sort of trained for the videos and then that whole clip situation got us a bit more trained for the next run of photos we did and like that was a little bit more natural like i think everything just comes with experience and like I'm not going to pretend to know what the fuck I'm doing in that situation because I definitely don't. Mm. But you just um, got to roll with instinct at that point, right? Yes, you and, just and gotta like. Well, and that's sometimes a, a hard part because it's like when that bit's coming up where you got to flip that switch and get to that bit, and it's like. So if you have a couple of beers when you're doing something like yes, I find that I settle into myself a little bit better, and you're not so much thinking about what's going on, what's next, and it's sort of. But when you're in that sort of film scenario it's not like you're playing a show and you've had a couple of beers and you can just feel comfortable to settle into whatever it is yeah, you you're are like dead sober in a weird room that's lit yeah and like and it's bright. hot as fuck yeah. like the lights are hot no one no one sort of gets that from looking at it that and you're just like god i'm very uncomfortable but yeah. you know I, I think just time 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 every time we do that and we'll get a little bit better at it. And I, I felt a little bit more comfortable in the servant stuff. Yeah. Um, you And you guys looked much more comfortable and directing you guys in the servant clip, the second clip, again, hopefully you guys have paused this and gone and watched it. Servant, true believer. I actually saw an email. It might, it's, got, it's actually on the Rage playlist now. Really? The servant one. Yeah, I saw that this morning. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. When they, did... Uh, so I, when's it going to be on Rage? Uh, I think... See what you can um, see from this email. But from wow. what I can gather, it's going to be this weekend. So, uh, listeners, we're recording this on a Friday night, so it won't be up by the time. So maybe I'll have to post uh, about right. it. I might have posted about it earlier that it's, uh, it's coming up. Good news, some videos added to the Rage playlist. See below. And then it's got the list of everyone that was added. And we're, wow. just, we're just below Stella Donnelly. It's true, really? True Believer Servant. That's just in the list. But then it comes up and it says... Um, it doesn't tell me exactly when ours is going on, but we're on the playlist now. So the next one's Saturday, November 9th. Uh, so when this goes up, it'll be done. It'll be already on Rage. <laughs> Hopefully it's on the playlist for two weeks. I don't know how that works. Well, we'll try and 
I'll maybe try and punch this episode out. Oh, no, that's a, that's a lie. I'm not getting this done yeah. tomorrow. There's no fucking There's way. There's no fucking way. I'm going to have a couple more wines with you tonight, I yeah, think, yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to be editing this podcast anytime soon. I'll get it done on Monday, listeners. Um, but if you are listening to this on whatever week it is, it's been on Rage, which is very exciting. So let's talk about... So the tome clip was very specific. It was a, it was a specific vision that between Gabe and myself and Dan Farmer we made. The servant clip was a little bit different because we had a, a shorter time frame and we had a little bit kind of like, you know, yeah, like just less, less, less lead in time. We had to kind of like pump something out quickly. Um, luckily, we had uh, Ben Halweg to come in and he's a good friend of yours, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, like I've known Ben for at least 10 years. Um, oh, it's, he's saved us on more than one occasion. And he's just like... He was in hol- on holiday in Bali, I think, at the time. And I'm like, hey, Ben, so we've got this schedule and we've actually got um, like professional PR and stuff this time. And so we've got deadlines. What's the chances of um, getting a video by this date? He's just like, oh, yeah. Right. And that's a fantastic uh, arson, like, well, arsenal. It's a fantastic weapon to have in your arsenal because Ben has worked on some fantastic film clips. He's made some fantastic Bad stuff. Dreams. Bad he's done Dreams. Stuff for Magic, Magic Bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done some fantastic work. And Ben's actually, as well as Dan Farmer, two people that I actually went to film school with at uh, Footscray City College many, many moons ago. But um, Ben really knocked it out of the park with this one. He had a lot of work on his plate. He found the time to come in and shoot with us across two nights um, and, and edited this fantastic film clip oh, man. is something he, that he, I'm so proud very of. little help from very any, any of us and like, I felt so bad because you know uh, you were on holiday Gabe had just gotten back that's from right on holiday. So, so Dwayne first messaged uh, myself about the film clip I've got this idea we knew I'd get this thing done in a couple of weeks you reckon we could do it I'm like yeah cool man I'm going to South Korea in two weeks uh, listeners that's why I've been a slack motherfucker doing these podcasts because I was away and we rushed to get all this stuff sorted we made a, a clip that we thought could be okay I was away in South Korea. I get this draft video sent to me via Ben that's amazing. And I'm like, cool, let's tweak this, 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 and this um, while I'm just holidaying away. And he goes out of his way to do this fantastic job. And then you've got a video now that, that we're all very proud of that it reflects the band very well, reflects the song very well. Ben's on a fantastic job. And now it's on Rage, November 9, I think, hopefully. Let's Rage. Yeah, it's going to be... Well, and that that's, brings me back to a, another thing that I was thinking about as well. It's like part of the reason that it's everything seems to be going smoother than it ever has before in this particular band. And it's because, well, like we're, we're surrounded by some phenomenally talented people. Like as I said, we've got Cam and like just on this recent tour has organized so much of the shit for us behind the scenes. Like. Mm doesn't even doesn't doesn't ask for a thing doesn't like just no it's not a problem at all like, he's up just book the entire tour vans everything like all, all that side of it and then there's ben with the filming it's like you know you, you ask him at late notice can you try and help us out here? oh he's yeah like, I'll, I'll be there mate. i'll like, squeeze it in between my yeah, job and exactly my other work you know, i'm and teaching this. here doing this and then it's like you rory you just like with a moment so she's like yeah i'll come with you i'll come and hang out and we're gonna do lights and just like be a man on the ground sell merch do all this bunch of shit like we're surrounded by so many good friends and talented people that it makes us look good yeah you know and that's that's that, that's the thing it's like we have some amazing friends and that that's part of the the reason we're seems seems to be running so smoothly wow that's um 
it's really nice sentiment, I think, to end the podcast on, man, because I think we need to crack another bottle of wine and <laughs> maybe come back in a little bit for a post-ramble. But uh, it's lovely to know that, you know, no man is an island. You know, if you're going to make it as a band or a, whatever it is in this world, you need to rely on people. And sometimes people are going to work for nothing. Sometimes people are going to help out just based on the goodness out of their own heart. And, you know, like the world's a, a pretty good place if you find the right people to do it. And I think that... Uh, the true believer is going to go a long way based on the fact that you guys are driven and you've got good people around you as a, like a solid base and it'll keep growing and keep going. And you know, that uh, blood rock festival, you guys will headline blood rock to 2020 <laughs> will be massive. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really, that's, it's really nice, Roy. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I reckon we'll crack another bottle of wine and come back and do a little bit of a post post chat. What do you reckon? Sounds good, mate. All right, we're back. We're doing a post ramble with Luke Toomey. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. How'd you feel about the Wasn't whole thing? Wasn't that the post ramble? Oh, no, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a post ramble over a wine and now we're actually recording a post ramble. How do you but feel? I feel good. Good. Hopefully it didn't come across like a total fucking... <laughs> I think you know. I think it was good. I hope the listeners enjoyed the show. I hope you guys are enjoying this now. And uh, yeah, like how, uh, how does the whole thing feel? It's, it's a pretty weird, surreal experience being, I guess, interviewed. You're being interviewed by me. Yeah, well, it's a little bit strange, like I was saying to you before, off podcast, that I asked Gabe earlier, I'm like, you know fuck you know any tips because you know i haven't done a great deal of this sort of thing and he was just like just remember that even if it is as boring as all fuck to you because it's your life like you know and you've lived it other people may be interested in the things that you have to say and i'm like all right so getting your head around that's kind of funny because yeah it's 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 well you're my friend and we hang out and you know we spent the last week together hanging mm. out and, and now that we're doing this on on uh, tape, I suppose. It's a, it's not like a, little, a Gomez tape, but no, like at least a <laughs> not the drums. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's ho- hopefully it's um, somewhat interesting for for people. I think it, I think I found it very interesting, so I hope the listeners do too. Um, so yeah, and something we didn't talk about on the podcast that I think we could kind of bring up now was your was your work life. You know, you said you were working sixty hours at the time during Time of the Lord and. You've mentioned it a little bit in passing in the podcast, but so your profession is you drive trucks when you are not playing in a band. Tell at us a little moment, bit about yes, yeah. Tell us a little about truck driving. Well, what do you want to know? Well, it's really funny, listeners, because my dad is a truck driver and has been for forty odd years. So it's funny that I hear a lot of it just from growing up in my kind of household, and it seems quite normal to me. But it seems like it's something that the old guard does, you know, like an older generation of people. So what was it like being a younger guy getting into the trucking world? Was it, was it inaccessible in any way? Or? Yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Like the whole, the whole reason it came about is because when I did get back from overseas, um, like when I flew back to do a little bit of work to then go back over, like I came home to do grape harvester driving and obviously growing up in wine and so on, that's what I like I started working in wineries and so on and then from there I moved to doing grape harvesting work and so I was over in the Adelaide Hills um doing you know with a with a bunch of people driving grape harvesters and you know the money was great the responsibility was also great and um like great in the sense of that I fucking really loved it 
and it was also difficult and like you know weighed heavy i suppose um but then yeah when when i got to the city i was like fuck what what like my skills do not sort of translate well into the world of city and i'm like obviously grape harvesting is a seasonal job and and the money's good but i'm like how can i make money on a yearly basis that that's going to be there so i can tour and shit like that so Mm. um, which i guess is the main question that every band dude asks themselves dude dude when i say dude i mean people Um, the royal dude yeah like everyone's got to try and find a way to make a living but then also pursue creative endeavors so, yeah, because it doesn't come easy like like with with all this other shit that goes on musically. Is you gotta you gotta fund it somehow, and no one's no one's funding it for you. Yeah, you know, videos so. don't come cheap. Recording doesn't come cheap. Merch doesn't Certainly come cheap. Not. All of these things are something that has to come off your own back when you're in an up and coming band. So you got to find a way to make money to to funnel into that on top of paying for rent and paying for bills and paying for you know new guitar strings that you break that's right well that you change every two weeks because you're a psycho (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i I guess i realized early that i needed to do something that was going to be able to make me money at a decent rate so i could be free to go away or whatever and that that was available all year round and so like i made a bit of a plan as this weird as it sounds like you know people talk about a five-year plan yeah it wasn't a conscious thing i didn't say in five years i'm going to be doing this but it was more they took about five years and so i moved to melbourne and i already had a truck license i think i had hc which is semi um what's semi for listeners like prime mover one trailer um but i didn't have any experience so i started like washing trucks at like half past three in the morning just so I could get experience backing them into tight places and getting that sort of skill up. And then I did that for a year or something. And I was like, yeah, I think I, I got my B-double license at that point. Which and what's, is, a, what's a B-double? Uh, two trailers, prime mover two trailers. Um, or like MC, multi-combination, which is open license is the last one that you can get, which is like road train and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I was sort of at the point where... I thought, right, I will have this and I can definitely bullshit enough. So I went for a couple of jobs and I got one of them and it was a massive pay cut, but I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to try and do it. So I, I used that one um, just to to learn what the fuck I was doing and bullshit it around. And so, yeah, sort of learnt, learnt to drive trucks, I suppose. And then, you know, you move on to the next job and I started doing like heavy haulage machinery carting and like, sort of all like like headers and like you know john deere equipment all that type thing um so you're essentially pulling giant john deere farming equipment on the back of your truck yes yeah and it's like so i'd go from the wharf in melbourne and that's where it would start so all the stuff that's brand new i'd then deliver it into new south wales and so on that's from going to like dealers that then gets delivered to the farms and so i probably did that for two years um you know, learn a whole lot. Had a lot of stress involved in that sort of thing. I got pretty. I didn't damage anything, but I think like I got pretty fucking lucky. Um, and then yeah, that's sort of where I am now. Where I'm, I'm doing B double like grain transport, like wheat and barley, all, all the good things that make beer and bread and so on. Um, it's cool as yeah, that got me to where I'm now. I'm like, so there are people out there that are eating bread and drinking beer that thanks to you they got to where it needed to go. 
Yeah, they're, thanks to me, they're going, fuck, getting fat. <laughs> <laughs> Too much gluten, the devil, 2019's devil. Does that, has that affected your business in any way, the gluten-intolerant community? Uh, always still, still it's not my it. business, that is the beauty. Um, i got less skin in the game. It's more of a more of a way that I can still, yeah, like I'm, I, f- I find it good because I can now use some sort of operating skills that I had from the past, even though they're very different, but the principles still apply. Like every move that you make has an action that causes a reaction. And if you do it wrong, you might fuck something somewhere along the line. So you've got to be very careful with all that sort of thing. Like just with something sounds as simple as changing gears. It's sort of makes a lot of difference when you weigh 68 and a half ton, you change the wrong gear and you fucked it. (laughs) Wow. But it's an interesting, um, kind of life that you live and, and, and the kind of understanding of the road and driving that you have now based on that. Um, definitely notice that while on tour with you guys, because you don't drive the tour van because you know, oh, that's don't just, go fucking near it. Cause <laughs> you drive for a living every day. Like the last thing you want to do is when you're on tour is be the guy driving the gear, you know, like no, if someone else is happy to do it, um, Shout out to you, Lockie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going fucking near it. Like, yeah, I, um, I think when we did that um, UK tour, I only drove once and that was, we did an overnight drive from Scotland back to London and I did that one and that was the only thing we did. And you were all over it, I'm sure. Well, I was all over the road. I was tired as fuck. No. <laughs> 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 no, it was all right. We're still here. that's fantastic now i guess one of the upsides is to driving trucks for living you get to listen to a lot of music a lot of podcasts yes Um, is there any podcasts you like in particular when you when you're driving oh mate you know you know the one (laughs) (laughs) joe rogan is that what you're talking (laughs) about have a shout out to justin wren fight for the god fight for the forgotten building wells for the pygmy in the congo uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's yeah, there's he's like I massively love history. So Dan Carlin and um, Daniele Bolelli, which is very nice to say, mm. but um, he's an Italian guy speaking English, so sometimes it's hard to understand what the fuck he's on about. But other than that, um, yeah, like history ones are huge for me. Uh, obviously, fuck you, Tarot Lady is a big one up on the list. Yeah, it's... Uh... I'll probably skip the next episode, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's always nice as, a, as someone who makes podcasts to hear someone like you say, oh, man, I listen to all the episodes. It's really nice. I'm yeah, like, well, I, I, I do. I do. Like, I, I quite enjoy it. Yeah, that's good. So hopefully knowing that if you're in the truck and you've got anything, everything to listen to and you choose, and you choose this podcast, that makes it feel very lovely. It's very lovely to have you on. It feels a bit like it, we've closed the loop, you know? Yeah, it's good. It's good, and um, I guess there's there's a lot of things that um that is hard about truck driving. Like I'm I'm just getting ready at the moment. So we just snuck this in, in fact, because next week I'm got to go to the Mallee. Oh, I'm going to go away for a month or so. And What's work. the Mallee? Oh, it's like a region in northern Victoria. Um, where they're doing like a, a wheat harvest or a grain harvest. So I'm going up there to work. This is the guy I work for owns a farm up there. So. I'm just going to work, try and make some money back after this fucking tour and, um, you know, do all that sort of thing. But one of the good elements to it is that you get to, you spend a lot of time by yourself. So there's, there's a lot, you have to be comfortable with your own fucking thoughts, which 
you know, sometimes isn't easy. But and for a lot of people, I'm sure it would be very difficult. No, and at, at, at first, it, you know, it depends on the state of mind of me as well, whether it's easy or not, whether it's a Monday or a Wednesday. No, <laughs> but like I get a lot of time to, to plan what the fuck I'm going to do next or how I'm going to go about it or what it is I really want to do. So that's good having that mental solace that you can prepare yourself in ways that I guess other people don't get 14 hours by themselves a day to sit there and fucking think about shit. Mm. So that's that's a, a nice part of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, I think um, it's very interesting when people in bands get to a certain age where they need to continue to work for a living, even provide for a family when it comes to people like Lockie in your band or just fulfill themselves. You know, like... There'd be a lot of easy way outs when you're in a band to just work a simple job, but I find that in this world we live in, in the Melbourne music scene, everyone finds a really interesting kind of niche for themselves to work and have the freedom to still play shows, but work in in a field that they find interesting, you know. And, you know, you're the you're the first truck driver I've talked to on the podcast. It probably won't be for a while. I think I run into another <laughs> one, unless I interview my dad. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which... Lockie and I joked about that maybe we need to at some point have a conversation between you and my dad, talk about trucks, talk about... It's funny, talk, like, I mean, the fact that my dad is 63, I'm pretty sure, uh, and, you know, you're 29, like... 29. But, but, the, but the conversation's the same, you know, like, like, what you guys go through every day is the same, and it's, it's interesting that, uh, that, that that predicament, you know, kind of spans generations, it spans, you know, it's just... It's just trucks on the road, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like... Oh, the whole, the whole, it, it is serving its purpose. The whole reason that I wanted to do it is because reasons like, like last week I took the week off work, um, in order to go and do this tour and it wasn't a problem there, there's, there's no problem with doing that because yeah, the whole, the whole reason I wanted to do it is because you can make good money fast and there's a, like, there's a million jobs out there for, if you know, if you sort of have half an idea of what you're doing you're going to be all right to get a job. So that's where it's like, worst comes to worst, I can be like, well, fuck, you can quit and you can get another job the day you fucking get back from whatever it is you have to do and then mm. keep making money and it's a yearly thing. So that's the main motivation of why I chose truck driving. Plus, you know, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's good. It's good being by yourself. Yeah, I think that, um, and look, I, I assume most people who listen to this, they're not listening to it with people that's new on their own, in their own way, whether it be they're cooking dinner or they're driving somewhere or they're cleaning the house or whatever it is that people do while they listen to the podcast. I think it's cool to have uh, those little moments when, you know, if you don't want to be by yourself, you don't want to feel like you're just out in the middle of nowhere. You can have this conversation between you and I that, that you know, you can enjoy as well as as much as well maybe not as much as us unless you're having a glass of wine like we are but uh hey hopefully not if you're driving yes if you're at home (laughs) crack crack one you know have a glass and uh and we're 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 certainly enjoying ourselves here too so hopefully that translates across the listener even if you are sober stuck in traffic somewhere so thank you so much for for listening do you have anything else you'd like to talk about or, or plug before we wrap this whole bad boy up um probably heaps i've probably i've probably missed out on saying crucial things that i'm that i'm should say but at this point i i can't think i can't i can't not not in a general sense i mean i can't think of anything else good um feels I think like we've I've probably, probably spoken enough <laughs> it's more it's more than i've talked about myself and as long as i can fucking remember <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad that when you did do that, it was on this podcast and I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much for inviting me into your home and sharing your lovely wine. We'll get a little chink on the bike. That's all right. Thank you, Rory. Thank you. Uh, thanks for sh- coming to my house and showing an interest. It's great to and be And doing here. all you do for True Believer and everything else involved. Oh, man. The, the rising tide lifts all ships, man. If I can contribute in my own little... Second time tonight. Oh, I'm all about it. And listeners, you should definitely um, <laughs> subscribe to that kind of philosophy. You know, if we all help out each other a little bit, you know, we can all get a little bit further. So that's, I guess, what this podcast is in, in, a, in a whole, in some weird kind of wholesome, lovely way. Without any kind of sinister <laughs> motives as to why I'm doing it. I just like being here and have this opportunity to have a wine with you. And if the excuse is we have to do a podcast to do it, then fucking A. Why are we doing a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that's what these microphones are, pointing in your face this whole time. Oh, that's what that is. No. No, I've had a lot of fun. For Great. sure. Thank you so much, man, for coming on. No, man, thank you. Hey listeners, post post ramble, just solo Rory here. Look, I was reluctant to do one. I was like, oh man, all the gear's already packed up for the next one and I have to unpack it all and do it. I'm not driving anywhere anytime soon. I have to just like get this episode out. So I've reluctantly pulled out the mic and the recorder and I just want to have a quick chat because I think it's nice to kind of have a debrief. I think doing a post ramble the moment you finish the podcast essentially is a little bit different when you've had a couple of days to reflect think about what mattered to me and uh, I think the main thing was was that I had a fantastic time talking with Luke spending some time with him getting a bit drunk with him let's be honest that wine was uh, yeah I'm not, a, I'm not a huge drinker so I was pretty drunk <laughs> um, but it was fantastic we we literally said that months and months ago when we caught up and I said I wanted to have him on the podcast I said you know let's let's do a podcast together and it'll be lovely like and he goes oh you can come to me we'll have some wine it'll be great and I was like oh sounds good and we exactly did that um, and watched some Rick and Morty afterwards which was awesome because I'm very excited for the new season coming out uh, I think it's like tonight in America fuck yeah anyway so it just felt good to, to really close that loop and, and to have a really good conversation with Luke after spending you know almost the better part of a week with him uh, the week before on the True Believer servant tour which was super fun to be a part of I got to um, fuck around with the lighting desk and, and learn a, a bit more about that and help sell some merch and just, just all around be you know, a morale boost. It's always difficult when you're four dudes in a van driving around and things might not be going right or you're just all tired and you've got early airport things and all that stuff. So it's always just nice to have an extra person there to, well, like me, I was impartial, you know. I was just having a good time trying to escape my real life. I'd gotten back from holidays and was like, no, I'm not into this. I need to get away again. So yeah, so it felt good to get away. And uh, True Believer, a fantastic band. The music's fantastic. Uh, it's been such an honor to work with them on the video stuff. And uh, yeah, it was on Rage uh, last Friday night. So at about 3.30ish. So pretty cool. It's, uh, it's the beginning of something for sure. So thanks so much for listening, guys. And uh, we'll see you very soon.